At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this free episode of Dunked On Prime. If you want to get all of Nate and Danny's coverage this season, find out how their predictions look as the season unfolds. They're going to do awards monthly. They're going to do all the other analysis in between. Subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. Well, well, Mr. LaRue, another season is upon us. Are you sufficiently recharged to deal with five days per week for the next 10 months uh, of Nate Duncan. I say this now, yes. Um, will I feel the same way after after being a father for this whole season? I can't guarantee that, but I hope so. Um, but things are good now. I, I, I'm ready to roll. All right. Well, this is what we do here on the Sunday before the season is everyone who are longtime listeners know that we do our awards each month. And then, of course, we do them at the end of the season. But we're going to do the same here to start. So we're going to tell you our predictions for every team, our conference finals predictions most valuable player coach of the year all the major awards a few awards that we come up with as well so Danny, let's get rolling here oh wait Did can i do, do a quick can i yeah. say a quick thing at the outset just because this is a difference please, please, between yeah. nate and i in this exercise and please correct me if i'm wrong we do this based on who we think will deserve the awards we're not trying yes. to predict voter behavior so if we're saying Player X is 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 our pick for MVP. That's who we're picking. Will deserve it. That's not saying like voter. We're not predicting voter fatigue. We're not picking yay points. We're not going for any of that. It's like in some ways we're predicting our own calls for that moving forward. And that is an important distinction to make, especially and actually some some specific stuff that we'll get into later. Um, and then one other thing, I'll bring this up more when we get to the individual awards. I try to, and we do this in crystal ball as well. I try to go in terms of like, so my number two for MVP is not the person who I think is going to finish second. It's the person who I think is second, most likely to finish first. Mm, yeah. um, but and, and if there's a material difference, I'll explain it. But there are, you know, in those sorts of cases, because that's, I think, what's more compelling. No, definitely it is. And we, of course, have different criteria than the voters, particularly on like a most improved or a sixth man. I think we tend to be a, a lot different. Uh, but where we're not going to be different is on individual wins. So West or East, where do you want to start? Let's start with the West because I had the most problems with it. Um, well, I'll say at the outset that we're not we're going, going to do news in the next pod, but we are incorporating, of course, what has happened into our analysis. So Stephen Adams' injury is definitely a factor here for where I placed the Grizzlies. 
Oh, and I'll note, Fair I didn't enough. do yeah. I didn't do win totals for everybody. I know you do a great job of that, but I'll lay it out in tiers, and so that'll get it, get us pretty close to parity on that. Okay, let's start in the Western Conference. My number one team in the Western Conference this regular season is the Denver Nuggets. I have them with 54 wins. And uh, yeah, I, I, I we've talked a lot about these teams in the over-unders. We've done, if you're a Dunkdown Prime member, 30 season outlook pods a, a couple of them boston and milwaukee uh, were uh, obviated somewhat by the trade so we can talk a little bit more when we get to the east about our outlook for those teams i think we did the over-unders before those uh, trades were made as well but yeah i still see denver as being the best uh, in the west and i mean that starting lineup is so good Jokic never gets hurt uh, he's the best regular season player in basketball to me the last three years should have won mvp to me last year despite the fact that Embiid won it and they had a 124 offensive rating when he was on the floor last year that's a it's a pretty pretty good place to, to start did, did you look that up yeah. or did you remember that i remember that yeah <laughs> um i so i have i said i did it in tears denver is the only team in my tier one and mm. part of that is their persistent home court advantage there are only two teams in the nba that do in the regular season one is them the other is the utah jazz who are not in this part of the conversation and even though they have players who have dealt with injuries in the, in the past and everything else I think that we're going to see a better Jamal Murray, a better Michael Porter Jr. than we did in the totality of the 22-23 season. I'm not saying they'll be better every day than they were in their best moments last year, but I think that's going to help. And I am worried about their depth. I am worried about a number of different things with Denver. But when you compare their concerns, and as you brought up, their ridiculous offensive rating when Jokic is on the floor, their concerns to me are comparatively minor when you when you do that with the rest of the West. Yeah, and the point was made uh, most saliently by Adam Maris that, yeah, their bench is unproven here in the regular season, but their bench was so atrocious Oof. last year that these guys would be pretty hard-pressed to be worse than that, and, and they won 54 last year, and they didn't even have to run through the tape because they had such a lead in the West. I don't anticipate, however, that will be the case this time around. You mentioned that Denver would be the only team in this tier uh, for the regular season for you in the West. I would add the Phoenix Suns to that. I have them with 53 wins. I think they've looked good during this preseason when they've had all their guys available. Now, of course, you know Bradley Beal and Devin Booker were uh, limited in practice on Sunday. They're expected to play on Tuesday against Golden State, but I think it's really injuries the only thing to me that's going to derail this group. And of course, the health history of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal is not amazing. Well, and Yusuf Nurkic, yeah, yeah. Although I don't, I'm not even sure that he's going to be closing games for them. Quite honestly, sure. I'm so, just saying they they don't have good center depth behind him, so it's not even. It's, it's, I think his health is more relevant than for a lot of players in this situation, just because they don't have. You know, they didn't weren't able to keep Jock Landale, who got that big deal with the Rockets. I will. My tier two is three yeah. teams in the Pacific Division, none of which play in Los Angeles. It is the mm. Suns, the Warriors, and the Sacramento Kings. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, you were. Uh, I guess you were convinced by the Kings. So why are you? Uh, I mean, we haven't really talked about them all uh, personally here. I, I've I've got them with forty five wins in the eighth seed. Uh, I'll get to that. But uh, are you? So you're kind of seeing them in like that four or five range? Yes, I am. Well, so yeah, I, I think that Sacramento, their offense is completely for real. And yes, they were unbelievably healthy last year, and that is important to acknowledge. And they are dependent on Sabonis and Fox staying healthy. But those guys have generally been like in this in this stage of their career, I think they've been available. 
The Kings have a lot of, they have players who can duplicate each other outside of those two. They have basically three options at the two guard with Herder, Monk, and Chris Duarte. Um, but I think, and I don't know that they want to play two of those guys in key moments together, but you can have, you have that on the floor. They have a lot of good shooting. Keegan Murray, Harrison Barnes, I think could fill roles. Trey Lyles, he's dealing with the calf thing right now, but he should be okay. And their defense is flawed, but they also, they don't need to have a great defense in order to be a successful regular season team. And even if other teams are playing more like the Kings than before, I don't think they have that kind of offensive talent. And I think that all of the fundamentals for them offensively are there. And defensively, like they weren't, they weren't great last year. It's sort of the parallel with Denver's bench where all they need to do is be slightly better or about even with where they were last year in order to reach this level because the West is so balanced that I don't think it's going to be, you know, like a bunch of teams running and hiding. Yeah, and they had poor shooting luck on jumpers defensively last year. If you talk to the analytics guys, they actually should have had a better defense than they did. Now, I'm not penciling them in for the number one offense again this season. I think just generally teams are going to be catching up a little bit to their running, running more themselves as well. Uh, So I think they'll be a little bit better on defense, a little bit worse on offense, and just have slightly worse health. The the biggest thing that I I asked about when we did the Kings outlook with James Hamm and Dan looked this up, uh, the Kings had eight players play 73 or more games, Yeah, basically the top eight in their rotation last year. And that has only happened. And this, remember, the guys used to play a lot more too. That's only happened, I think Dan said, like three or four times for any team in the last 15 years. So they will experience some regression there. We'll see how much. Now they do have guys with pretty good health records, right? Like Harrison Barr and Sabonis. Those guys don't really get hurt at all. So, uh, you know, Keegan Murray basically made it through all the way. So they're, I don't think that they're going to have I'm not pricing in like massive injury issues, but it'll be a little bit worse. And I also just think generally that the rest of the West will be a little bit better. Wins will be a little harder to come by this season than they were a year ago. That's kind of one of my theses that uh, the West kind of sucked last year uh, outside of Denver. And I think a lot of these teams are going to be a lot better, you know, of course, before the inevitable injuries hit. So I I have Sacramento with 45 wins as the eighth seed. But of course, Mm -hmm. I mean, there are so many teams around there that all of this could change. Okay, so you you had this be that wrong yeah yeah you had the suns two where do you go after that yeah so suns two with 53 wins then i go down to the lakers i got them with the three seed with 49 wins and i think just like lebron and ad whenever they've had a real team around those guys they've been really good now lebron ad might get hurt and that might be the reason that they fall off a little bit but when you consider that they were at 43 a year ago with all the shit that went wrong, having Westbrook, having really no depth until they made those trades, Reeves basically didn't even play that much until after the deadline. And I think that what they did after the deadline, even with LeBron being out, uh, yeah, the wins are usually to come by after the deadline. But this team, I think, is pretty good. Like, I mean, they made the West Finals a year ago, and I think there's a decent chance that they're going to be a lot healthier this year than they were last year. You can say, oh, LeBron and AD, they get hurt all the time, but it's like, they got hurt so much last year. Like, I, if you had to say, hey, are they going to be healthier in the aggregate this year than they were last year? I would say the answer to that is probably yes. And they have more depth, so I, I think, uh, and they just have a formula that I think works pretty well. If LeBron misses time, they have other guys who can come in. It's really... Uh, that, so that's one of our bigger disagreements, guy. is I think yeah. that part of the reason... I have them in Tier 3, and I mean, they they absolutely could make the West Finals. They're a really good team. 
but I don't think that they have a lot of reliable shot creation outside of a run. Like it, Gabe Vincent is probably, I, I think Gabe Vincent's a better player than Dennis Schroeder, but I think he doesn't do as much of that. D'Angelo Russell can, but D'Angelo Russell, it just, it's a little bit different. He is a better regular season player and it's always good to discern the difference between those two. And then the other part for me is this defense is so AD dependent and Anthony Davis is an unbelievable defender, but both when he's off the floor in games and when he's off the floor for stretches because he's hurt because Anthony Davis is going to miss time. I just don't think they can keep it up. I don't think they have their person. They have the personnel to weather those storms. And so like the best version of the Lakers, absolutely tier two. You could maybe even make an argument they're tier one, but I don't think that their B and C versions are, are, are they're going to come too much and they're not, um, they're not quite good enough. Yeah, I guess I, maybe I'm more of a believer in their depth uh, than you. I do think Reeves is going to be really good this year as well. Uh, got Golden State at 48. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's been a mixed bag. I did a pod with Slater on Friday night, his uh, All-82 pod, if you want to get a few more of my thoughts uh, on Golden State in their preseason. But Kamingo looks good. Curry looks fine. Klay Thompson hasn't looked great. We haven't seen Draymond at all. Chris Paul looks good physically to me. I think they're still trying to figure out how to use him. We haven't seen him and Draymond together at all. I don't like the fit of Chris Paul and Kevon Looney together at all. Uh Playing Chris Paul, Seth Curry, and Clay Thompson together, I think is just still too bad defensively. Like it's a little better than when it was Jordan Poole in Chris Paul's place, but not much. So I, I'm not sure how all that is going to add up, but I do think this team has a lot of depth. They're not going to be playing Ty Jerome, Anthony Lamb, you know, over a thousand minutes this year. Like I think they're one through thirteen. We'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow in the news. Uh, is pretty solid, and hopefully they'll be better with Steph off the floor. So I, I think they can. They're still going to get some injuries. Ultimately, we'll see whether they're a contender or not based on how good Clay, Draymond, and Steph are. And I don't feel like I have a great answer to that question based on the preseason. Uh, so but I think these guys are, they're going to be trying to run through the tape this year as well. They want to get off to a good start. So I, I think they're, I'm look got them at the four seed with 48 wins. Memphis, I had them for 48. I'm going to knock them down one with the Steven Adams news. Maybe it should be even more than that because they also have Brandon Clark out as well. Maybe that's just going to be a cascade and you know, John Morant, we'll see when he comes back after 25 games. But I, I ultimately just trust in Taylor Jenkins and this team overall. So, and I like Steven Adams, I don't think that him playing playing over Xavier Tillman, who I also think is a pretty good player. Like I, I, I'm not going to knock them down more than a win for that necessarily. So that's, I got Memphis at 47. I guess that would be the five seed. What do you, what do you think of Golden State and Memphis? I have the Warriors number three in my second tier and Memphis would have been tier two for me, but with the Stephen Adam news, I knocked them down. I don't know. I hadn't fully placed them because I was doing it this morning as the news broke. So I never really did the counterfactual. I have them fifth as well. So we're, we're, we're paralleled there, but I will note at the outset, my, my tier three runs five through 11. That's how bunched up oh, I yeah. think the West is. No, I, I can certainly understand that viewpoint. I still think of, and again, these I have these teams very squashed together in terms of wins. But if you're going to say, like for the Clippers, for example, I have them with 46 wins, the six seed. Uh, and my next team is, you know, Dallas and Sacramento at 45 and Minnesota 44, et cetera. But I think the Clippers just overall are a higher quality team. I'm just pricing in the injuries more with them than with some of these other teams. The same thing with Memphis too, but factoring in the uh, the suspension there uh, with Josh. So I, I think those teams are clearly better than your Dallas, Sacramento, Minnesota, New Orleans, OKC group, which if I were going to do tiers would probably be my next group because I, I just think the Clippers with their fastball, if they have it, the Clippers can get up over 
50 wins, even if I'm putting them at 46 because of uh, some injury concerns, they just have a higher ceiling to me than the rest of these teams do below them. Uh, and I feel similarly about Golden State and Memphis and L.A. So that's that's kind of I'm I've got these guys in an order. Their wins are closer together. Maybe that's more of an indication that these more veteran teams, more established, are also maybe uh, facing more of an injury risk. Although the Pelicans got some injury <laughs> injury risk, too. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got the uh, what's your take on the Clippers here uh, after preseason? I worry that the Clippers are going to take some time to find themselves because they're. I think their their intended starting lineup is not a particularly great fit. I mean, they're playing so many limited shooters outside of their best yeah. players, and it's not like Russell Westbrook, Terrence Mann, and and Zubats are the foundation of a phenomenal defense. It's not. I mean, the Clippers will have that attack. I, like, I think they're going to stop people. I, I no, mean, but they, what I'm saying about is being top five defense. Do you think they can get there or no? Can yes. I'm not saying I definitively that they will. And so I, but I, and I think that there are some iterations that they can go to outside of that that will work better. But I think they're really going to miss not only Luke Kennard, but the player they functionally traded Luke Kennard for and Eric Gordon, that they don't really have enough of those type of guys. And I know I love Norman Powell. I like a lot of their bench guys. And if any one of the older forwards like Covington and Morris can show more of a pulse, that will make the world of difference for the Clippers. Because what happened last year was like they need one person to step up and like five guys step back. And that's a challenge for them. So, yeah, I mean, the Clippers, I agree with you that they're best version. I actually have them ninth, um, but in the same tier, because I don't believe they're going to have that night in, night out. And because their offense, like when their best players are on, will be great. But what proportion of the season will that be? I'm a little bit more dubious. I think they're going to be judicious with especially Kawhi, but to a lesser extent with PG. And... It's not only because, at, as of what this recording, those guys, you know, those guys are getting older and all that. It's also they're pending unrestricted free agents with player options, and so you can't push them as hard. You can't do everything else because if they don't like the situation, then they have the right to just leave. You can't say, "Oh, you're here for five years. The the league is changing the the rest policies, so get on like ship up or ship out because they can ship out." Yeah, again, I guess it just goes back to that ceiling with PG and Kawhi available. But you know, we could see a decline in PG this year in particular. He's a little older, and I mean, Kawhi was amazing last year, but of course he got hurt again. So, and when those guys go down, one of those guys goes down, they're kind of more on on the level of a 500 team to me. Uh, so let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> I have him for 45 wins. I picked the over. Hasn't been a particularly encouraging preseason. Luca, I imagine he'll be back pretty quickly. He's doing, but well, looks like he's out for a couple weeks with this calf strain, and he should be back right around the start of the regular season. Kyrie is back from this groin strain now, so they're healthy-ish. <laughs> it, it just doesn't seem like the vibes there are fantastic at the moment. The fact that they had to go overseas uh, really seems to maybe sap them a little bit also but sure. i just think luka Doncic is too good like he he to me is the best player of any of these guys lower than him like i i will just ultimately believe in that and i think that they still uh they were on pace to get into the 40s last year before they totally shut it down and i think when he and Kyrie play together their offense can be really good like they're gonna be a top five offense probably and so there's only so bad you can be when you're a top five offense i think that's just they in sacramento the, their offenses 
are just better individual units than anyone else below them. So that's why I have them in the seventh and eighth seed with, with 45 wins. Uh, any comment on those? We talked about Sacramento already. Any comment yeah. on Dallas? I largely agree with you. I'm concerned about their defense. I think that it's going to be hard to like get the foundation. They've moved away from a lot of the things that I thought worked really well for them back when they had Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith, and we'll see what they can get from Moxie Kleba this year. Their center rotation is a big question mark. I mean, maybe Derek Lively can step into it, but generally rookies, especially rookie bigs, it takes time. Like that's, that's something that we've learned overall in the league. And so I agree with your general thesis. I have the Mavs at, at 10, but in this like group that they're all about there. And so, but I, I think that the thesis is fundamentally correct. And usually these teams do well. For me, the reason they're a little bit lower is like Lucas starting the year with an injury is a concern. And I don't believe in their coach. And so, you know, those two things sometimes tie in. Like maybe the, the whole could be less than some of their parts, though I believe that their offense will be wonderful. The two teams that I have between... Could they just fire... What if they just fired Kid and then immediately rehired him? I think that would... <laughs> would it just make him a first... At first, Just say it's his first year again and that, yeah. then maybe they'll they'll uh, they'll defend it at an unsustainable rate again? Maybe. Maybe. Um, so the two teams that I have between, like, around all of the other ones that we've discussed are two teams that have flummoxed me and over-unders and all of that for years now, and those are the Minnesota Timberwolves and the New Orleans Pelicans. And the reason I have the Wolves at seven is I believe in their defensive foundation with, with Gobert. Like, even if Gobert is taking, you know, continuing to take these, like, half steps back each year, he can be the foundation for a good defense. They also, of course, have Jaden McDaniels, and they have some other players there. I think they can make that work, even with the flaws of Carl Anthony Towns. And Edwards, like, he could be a good clutch defender. I don't think every possession he's as great as he can be at his best, but that's not what you expect from a guy who's a number one option. And then the Pelicans, a really hard team for me to place. I, I think they have more variance than most teams of this of this ilk. And I will get into this more later because I have them picked for a specific reason for another thing. But they have a lot of talent. I'm just wondering whether Willie Green will find the right combinations to make it work. And it's harder because of the equity that certain people have involved. But they have a lot of good players, even if some of their bench guys who are exceedingly important are starting the year hurt. I don't think they're going to be like hurt the whole year or anything like that. So when they get, you know, like this was a really good team for the first half of last year. They have strong defensive foundation. Whenever Zion's on the floor, they're good offensively. So I I think it's weird to have the Pelicans over the Clippers because I think the, the Clippers at the best are meaningfully better. I just think we'll, the Pelicans can weather some storms better than the Clippers can. Well, I, I guess the problem for me is that the Pelicans already are experiencing those storms whereas sure. it hasn't even started yet for the clippers like they're just coming in larry nance jose alvarado i don't, I don't think it sounds like he's going to be ready to start the season i haven't heard anything that i will check in on that again tomorrow but larry nance it looks like he's definitely going to be out uh and this is the same ankle that was bothering him at the end of last year so i don't know whether he's going to come back and contribute uh, i mean the fit of their starting lineup i don't love that and trey murphy is like the one guy who pulls all these lineups together and we're not going to see him for a month and a half probably either and you know cj mccollum has an had a great preseason zion it usually takes him a while to ramp up once he starts playing again. i don't think he's looked particularly great in the preseason he had he got out in transition with some steals in that game against the magic but it's as far as like his aggressiveness finishing around the basket and explosiveness like he looks not at the level that he was last year before he went down with the hamstring brandon ingram you know we still haven't seen ingram and zion play together and play effectively uh Najee marshall is out as well he's a, a death piece cody zeller has been in in the preseason it's just and i'm gonna just take the under on these guys until they prove me wrong that they always have something 
something go wrong. There's always an injury. They're already experiencing it again. Uh, I'm kind of thinking I, I almost want to move them down below OKC, uh, who I think has had a nice preseason. I really like, I picked them for 42 wins initially. I'm actually going to bump them up to 43 as I'm thinking about it now. And I'm going to have the Pels at 43, but I think I'm going to predict OKC to be the 10th seed. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I think I'll bump the Pels down to 42 because I'm uh, I'm just a little worried again about these overall injury issues. And I think like Chet's looked really good. I love the fact that they're going with him at center. Uh, I think this OKC team, I'm, I'm not, uh, it's it's tough to bet on youth that much, but they also have Shea Gilgis-Alexander on this team, which a lot of these young teams don't have. So that's a, that's a pretty good foundation on a night-to-night basis. The Thunder are going to be, along with the Kings, one of the key test cases for the, the theories of the West, of like whether the West is just stronger. Because like OKC, I believe in everything that they did last year. I have them in this tier, but I have them 11th. But some of the teams that I have that that they finished higher than last year that have more talent that was just unavailable. And with the Thunder, it's the idea that talented young players don't always improve in a straight line. And I, I mean, I think Chase can be a monster, but their defense last year was stunningly effective. They were 16th. And I, I think that Mark Dagnall did a great job. I, I, I believe I picked him as my coach of the year. At least he was in the conversation. And I think they, it's hard for me to imagine them being like dramatically better because it's not like their personnel is dramatically better this year. They're, it's, they're getting there. So with the Thunder, I could see them finishing in a playoff seed. I could even maybe see them finishing sixth. But it's the idea that, like, I mean, the Clippers are, are a good example of this. Like, the Clippers obviously weren't the best version of themselves last year. The Lakers spent the first two thirds of last year being a worse version of what they, what they are now. And so for OKC, a team that I thought overall played over their heads, like it's going to take a lot for them to reach the same level that they were, even with the age-related progression that we're going to see. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes, and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. 
Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash cap space URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing, like their premium Slub Crew tee, the No BS High Rise Pant, the Slim Roughneck Pant featured in Giant Magazine, Issue 2. Every American Giant piece is made in America and designed to last no exceptions, and it provides year-round comfort. So find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use that finisher code CAPSPACE at checkout. Please remember we talk about CAPSPACE all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us big jump down then to utah oh, yeah. i have them with 35 wins that's that's the under they've got the top 10 protected pick i think their backcourt it's just going to take a while to sort out i think they're going to want to get keontae george a lot of minutes and maybe even have him starting by the end of the year so i it now they could easily confound here and walker kessler could just end up being that good defensively and maybe market and takes another step forward but i think they're just a little too down on shooting a little too down on the wing a little too down on passing and playmaking uh for me to want to go over with them so but 35 wins for them you can we can roll through these if you have any big disagreements let me know went with 34 the houston rockets talked about them with kelly eco last week and I think they could easily go over this, but they're still really, they've got Fred Van Vliet. He's a really good player. They got Dylan Brooks, who gives you a lot on defense. We'll see about his offense. I don't think he'll be quite as bad as he was last year, but they're still, if they want to get into the thirties and wins, you're still relying on big improvement from Jalen Green, Javari Smith Jr. And Alperin Shingun. And I think that's, I'm not ready to bet on that yet. So I'd go a little bit lower with them with 30, but they will be a tough out, I think, for a lot of the season. San Antonio, another <laughs> confounding team. I picked them for 28 wins. Then I saw Victor Wendy Hunt in person on Friday, and I'm kind of wanting to change that up. Change it to 65 actually- wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's and also it came out that they're starting Jeremy Sohan at point guard as well. What do you make uh, of that? And also having seen them, uh, seen that starting group on Friday night, I think it will be fascinating defensively. And I mean, one of the things that was so striking in their game against the Warriors was how destructive Victor Wembanyama could be weak side defending because he could just basically oh, yeah. cover the entirety of the weak side. And so you think about Sohan. Wembenyama, and then presumably in a lot of those lineups, it'll be Zach Collins. And now that group to me uh, has a lot of defensive potential. You know, you could do that. And ideally, you have a wing who can defend or point of attack, however, you want to use Jeremy Sohan there. I worry, though, about the spacing and the overall passing and ball movement in those lineups. And so for San Antonio, I think this is going to be a year where they're significantly more fun to watch, where they show signs. Like, I think they're going to have one or two wins over top five teams and just be like, oh, this is going to be, they're cooking with gas, this is going to be really special. But that 
the night in night out stuff is going to be hard. This is not the same as those San Antonio teams 10 years ago that ran roughshod over the bottom of the league. I don't think that's what this team is going to look like. I don't think that their offense is consistent enough to make that happen. But I'm not writing off the possibility. So, for example, I have them in a tier separate from the Jazz and the Rockets. They could absolutely be work into that. I don't. It's not like I think the Jazz and the Rockets are any great shakes. It's just that teams as like young as San Antonio and who aren't going to be pushing on the gas pedal. Like some of the, they're playing. You know, they could play Jetty Osman in the rotation and McDermott and some of these other guys, and they can just as easily not because if you can get. If you can incredibly get Victor Wembanyama, a running buddy with a top five pick, then we're we're in a very different conversation with them. And so I think that motivation will play into this with them as well. It may well. I, I think Victor is too competitive. I think they, they really want to take a step forward this year, particularly on defense. And that's what was very impressive to me. That I mean, if they're going to play Sohan at point guard, uh, I mean, is he really that much worse of a shooter than Trey Jones, right? Like, I don't know that I really <laughs> I mean, does he get one hand or much. two? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He looked better shooting at one hand. He did have one of the worst air balls three-pointers i've ever seen in my life <laughs> i think i i think i, I, think I in a, like uh, like unintentionally yelled out oh no when i saw it in the air <laughs> but uh i mean my impressions with san antonio just to, while we were talking about it i thought devin Vassell looked really good i liked his three-pointer to me is looks like he's getting more aggressive from three i talked with noah mcgarrow george about how like ah, is he really that much for a three-point shooter like he kind of shoots a jump shot he was very aggressive it looked really good uh you know his, his numbers shooting oh, and from mid-range were very good last year one other thing on vassell i think that his time as a secondary and limited moments primary ball handler last year will reap some real benefits now when they can play some other guy i think i think that's going to really help san antonio at times yeah and if you just think about it jeremy sohan defending the other team's point guard vassell Keldon Johnson, Wembenyama, Zach Collins, that is just so much size defensively. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned Victor. He's been guarding fours. He was guarding Andrew Wiggins. He just absolutely demolished Andrew Wiggins on a couple of shot blocks. And uh, so <laughs> he was, uh, I-, I asked him about that because it seemed like a lot of wings are like, oh, I see a Mitchell trying to attack him. Here's what he had to say after the game on that. You've been matched up a lot against wings, you know, guys who are accustomed to seeing a bigger guy and thinking that they have a mismatch. Have you kind of enjoyed the process of letting them know that maybe it's not a mismatch? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, it's some stuff that's going to surprise probably my opponents at first, but they're, I mean, I, I'm sure with, uh, with the scouting reports and the, the, the film, the, our opponents are going to, get to know us and get to know me so they won't be surprised in a few anymore in a few in a few months or years but yeah of course it's you know i mean i'm i'm always i'm always i'm always okay with the fact that they they think they can get an easy bucket and I, I thought their offense, like, they shot incredibly well. They put up 70 in the first half against Golden State. I mentioned Golden State, no Draymond, not looking amazing uh, with no Draymond and those three guards out there. But I thought their offense was more than the sum of its parts. And they had guys constantly looking to duck in, go back door. If they had guys in a size mismatch, they really were looking to get those guys the ball you know, somewhere where they were immediately threatening with it. And I think they're going to run. I think they're going to force some misses. I think they'll be pretty decent on the glass as well also and now they shot unbelievably well from mid-range but at one point there were 15 out of 21 on twos and shooting it really well from three in that first half as well so their offense may end up being passable and and of course you know you don't want to be like 
hey, maybe Victor is not that good. Maybe he's not going to contribute to winning that much. I think there is going to be some of like him just taking some bad shots, exploring the space. I think they want him to do that at this point. I don't see Pop being like, hey, you're on the Kawhi Leonard 3 and D program for a couple of years. They just want him to go do what he's going to do. So that that may end up hurting them a little bit offensively, but they also don't have that many mouths. So I'm, I'm very inspired by seeing the Spurs in person. I'm going to listen to my head rather than my heart with some of the things you were talking about. And I will, I still have him for 28 wins. Uh, and then... Portland, 26 wins for them. I don't think we've talked about them just a couple of days ago. I don't think we need to hit on that too much. That sends us to the top of the East. And you talked about how they're you're going to have to revisit the Celtics and Bucks a little bit because they made their massive transaction or transactions in the case of one of these teams um, after that point. And I, you know, those teams are figuring at the top, but purely on regular season success i'm going to mention i have a third team in tier one outside of the celtics and bucks and no it is not the philadelphia 76ers it is the cleveland cavaliers and the Cavs quietly very very quietly when you consider their unceremonious exit in the playoffs last year second best team in net rating last season and their their concept of having two ball dominant guards and having two players that can provide the defensive foundation in Mobley and Allen. I I think that's very conducive to regular season success, but I have them below, of course, the Celtics and the Bucks. And for the regular season, I'm going Boston over Milwaukee. Both teams now with the moves Boston made, I'm not as big a believer in their depth, but I think Boston night in, night out, I think that they'll be able to kind of handle things better. They're also a younger team. So I I think that, you know, for example, Tatum and Brown are going to play more games than Giannis and Damian Lillard will. I've got Boston for 57 wins. I bumped them up three wins after the holiday trade. And I I think they're just going to be an absolute monster. I mean, this is one of the most talented teams that we've seen in the dunked on era, really this century, I would say. I don't think they have any weaknesses at this point. Maybe you would say they don't have great passing, although they still have plenty of assets to go get somebody else too. Don't have the matching salary necessarily. But uh, so I have them for 57 wins. In some ways, that almost feels too low. Maybe they'll suffer some injury issues, but they got rid of some injury guys and they added Holiday, who's been a rock lately. Uh, and then Milwaukee, I have at 52. So I guess if I were going to tier it, I would have Boston regular season wise in their own tier because I, I think they just have so many ways to play. And they're, they also like their depth, at least in the regular season, with the likes of Pritchard, Hauser, Brissett. Like, I think those guys are totally fine when you've got that top six that you can mix and match in with those guys. They got guys. We're going to hit shots. I think they're top five offense, top five defense, maybe even better than that. So I, yeah, I think- I, you, you've convinced me. I'm going to put Boston in their own tier, which means I have to change a bunch of things written in my sheet, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and I think, is there any other team you look at that you would project to be a top five offense and defense? I can't think of anyone other than Boston. No, and they should also, you know, they have guys that could step into larger roles and the players at the top of their pecking order generally have been pretty healthy. So you don't have the same fears with them that you do with Milwaukee, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I've got Boston as the number one defense in their own tier and I've got them as a top five offense also i mean like i could see them they could win six three games this year honestly uh, they could I, that wouldn't that wouldn't shock me like they they could have like a nine net rating for the season i think that's i mean porzingis to me has looked really good in preseason of course he could get injured but i think he, his fit has been awesome the way they've been able to attack with him as a stretch five utilizing that space uh, just a lot of really really talented players on this team we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how that will translate in the playoffs momentarily here so like you 
you. I actually have Cleveland with 52 wins as well. I have them with the same actual number of regular season wins as Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is going to be unbelievable. They're top tier offense for sure. I think the defense will take a step back. Can Brooke Lopez repeat his season of a year ago? That's asking a lot on a off a career year at 35. But I do think they're going to be unstoppable on offense. I just don't think they're going to be the same as they've been defensively. And you'll see that a lot of times too for teams that have been around a while that are older. Like they'll kind of keep it going on offense and not be as good on defense and like as they've been contender for years and of course they subbed out drew holiday for damian lillard and got rid of some other defensive stalwarts as well or weren't able to bring them back perhaps more accurately um then i guess i got philly still you know of course so much uncertainty with them and who knows james harden is he joined the clippers would probably bump the clippers up then uh, lower the sixers down but then maybe they get somebody for those i'm just presuming as of now that harden's not really going to contribute and i'm not really locking in any huge contributions from someone that they might heretofore got with assets from a hardened trade i don't think a hardened trade is imminent so i still got him for 50 wins well, uh, and actually no i'm sorry i lowered him down to 49 because mm-hmm. uh, i'm a little worried about their shooting and their backup point guard the other thing another point with the sixers is that i like nick nurse as a coach though some of the shine is off after the 2019 finals of course with what's happened in toronto the last few years but i don't think that his creativity defensively matters as much for the Sixers because when you have Joel Embiid and whether it's Maxi Harden or a combination of the two you just there aren't as many things that you can that that you can do and the, the, they don't have the defenders that the Raptors do and I think there are some players who will step up I so I think two things at once I think that the Sixers, I've been lower on them at full strength than almost everybody the whole time, but I also think that they will miss Harden less than most people think because they can have Maxi step up and Joel Embiid, of course, is a wonderful offensive hub in in his own right. So I don't actually think that James Harden, you know, not, you know, being poor, playing poorly or not being there or anything else like it does affect them because of the in, the injury variance that it mitigates and everything else. But I don't think that it fundamentally like transforms who they are as a regular season team. The other two franchises that I have in the same tier with them are the Knicks and the Heat. And for the Knicks, and I have them in that order, though, remember for me with a tier that's not as as rigid. I believe in the Knicks offense. I think that Jalen Brunson did a fabulous job. I think that their offensive rebounding is completely for real. And the Knicks last year, like, worth repeating, they, top two in offense, maybe that tones down a little bit. They were bottom half in defense. This is not like they had the high water mark on both sides. They had, like, perfect opponent shooting luck or anything like that. Like, I think they can be top half on defense, even if I don't think they're going to be top five. And they also have pretty good depth this year you know they have Josh Hart for the full season they have Dante DiVincenzo now who I think can help them out and they did lose Obi Toppin but I think of Toppin more as a tone setter than as like the foundation for what they were doing and them over the heat is also in part because Miami like I think it gets lost a little bit in the shuffle like yes they made the NBA finals last year and they deserve all the plaudits necessary for that they were a pretty bad regular season team last year like this is not it was not a circumstance where Oh, they, you know, like they were the they were the eighth seed, but they had were saddled with injuries and everything else. No, they were just straight up not that good a team last year. And they rallied and Jimmy Butler is one hell of a playoff player and everything worked out. So the idea that Miami, a team that last year finished with a negative net rating, though they were 44 and 38, is just all of a sudden they're like a definite top four team. No, they never were. 
Yeah, I could see them getting there. I have both them and the Knicks at 47 wins, a, a five and six seed. And Ethan Skolnick made a pretty good point to me on the pod that we did that they just had a lot of bad players playing during the regular season last year. And that actually included Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. Those guys had really down years. They had Dwayne Dedman as their backup center the first half of the year, which was truly terrible. And Duncan Robinson was, he looks like he's got his groove back a little bit from the playoffs, but he shot, you know, 34% from three. And Kyle Lowry really really was ineffective he's actually looking better so far this preseason kevin love is you know he's really more of a bench guy in terms of he technically starts but in terms of number of minutes he does but he still adds an element they didn't have last year uh they're hoping to get something from jaime Hakez and nikola jovic uh, as well their backup center situation with brian and orlando robinson should be better also so i, I think they actually now your concern is jimmy basically had a career year last year can he keep that going now at age 34 that's a little dicey uh, i would say but he's still he's kind of got like lebron he's kind of got things figured out on cruise control in the regular season and he's just so smart he can be effective without it putting too much mileage on him so i think these guys will actually be better uh than they were i don't think they're going to be world beaters but i don't think they're going to have just so many zeros in their rotation atlanta i have kind of in their own group at same four wins uh, and then I get down to Chicago at 40, which I, they were a, kind of an obvious over to me. I think we talked about that, that we both have the over, but still like th- there's not uh, nobody too sexy here. I think this eight, race for the eighth seed in the East, maybe some of these young teams can emerge a little bit, but Chicago 40 wins. I got Brooklyn at 38, Toronto 37, Indiana 37, Orlando 35. Anything you really want to drive home about those teams? Not particularly. I, I have the Bulls as, as my perspective eight seed as well. I'm most interested interested in the pacers of that group just because when Tyrese Halliburton has been out there he can raise a lot of boats offensively and then they're going to have a different starting lineup with Benedict Matherin out there something they experimented with late in last year and they of course overhauled their power forward rotation um, and really their overall forward rotation with with the moves they made and Bruce Brown and everything else so I it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up kind of being the best of this group the other thing that the pacers have that the bulls and raptors arguably don't is there is a like to me if the Bulls and Raptors are this level of team for most of the season, then they should be doing some moves to move down. You know, like that should be yeah, that. But that, that uh, but may come up later and in yeah, one of the it, categories. It, it very it very well could. And <laughs> and Brooklyn is in a strange place because I I simultaneously love what Mikael Bridges did during the second half of last year. You know, post trade and stepping up. I wonder if that can sustain over a full season. And the, why that matters more for Brooklyn than most teams is I don't think they have anybody else who can pick that up. And so if he can't be the offensive engine and if Nick Claxton can't be the defensive engine, then they're just kind of meh on both ends of the floor. And that even in, you know, an Eastern Conference where there, there are a couple of really strong teams at the top, like it doesn't take a ton to be better than the Bulls, but I don't know that the Nets are going to be that. The Nets are the most interesting of this group to me. Uh, I'm sure there's very few people who said that Slater was like, yo, I'm going to be interested in the Nets. I'm like, I want to see if these guys can defend. Like they have a lot of talent defensively. Nick Claxton was on the fringes of defensive player of the year in all defense last year. Mikhail Bridges is one of the best wings in basketball. Maybe that will be reduced a little bit because of his offensive load now. And you're talking about Ben Simmons coming back and starting for them like he still I think could be a quality defense player we'll see how he does it on offense it's Spencer Dinwiddie has size so it's Cam Johnson they got Dorian Finney-Smith coming off the bench Dennis Smith Jr. looks like he's nearing a return he's a wonderful defensive point guard they've got a, a lot of guys who are really talented like could these guys get into you know at least being a top 10 defense like to me they should be uh but they did not defend that way and when I talked to Brian Lewis about them he said yeah they just didn't know each other 
they made a lot of mistakes and if they can clean those up uh you know they don't have much beef they're probably gonna be bad on the boards maybe simmons though can help out with that a little bit because they have overall size even if they're a little skinny in, in places but i like to me that's a like these guys were bad on defense last year i want to see if they can be like a really quality unit and maybe they could end up being the best to, of these teams we're talking about indiana is another interesting one but they're just i they're not starting buddy healed like they're still trying to develop ben matherin like i don't think they're going to defend their overall team shooting is not that good so i, I think this is still a, a year away uh for indiana orlando i think their offense is just too bad to take them that seriously although maybe the rest of these teams are so bad too that they'll still be in the play-in mix and uh charlotte hornets would you care to uh, change up your thoughts uh, on them that you gave during the over under pot um yes i would i actually have i i just i just wrote tier hornets for them because i don't i don't even want to put them into this is format. that t-e-a-r hornets? yeah i mean for based on my over under <laughs> prediction yes and if i you know if i knew that miles bridges was going to play 65 plus games this year then he better not but yeah the exactly then then i would then i would have them in this tier with the bulls and the pacers and all that and that was the, that was the foundation of my over-under is just that last year was an absolute disaster there was a reason to believe that it was an outlier that they would have better talent and not only is this that like there could be consequences for him based on these actions but now there is more of a pattern and that is a concern of course it needs to be adjudicated and everything else but we're, we're dealing with that circumstance and the other part yeah. well, for sh- let it be adjudicated when he's on administrative leave correct please. it still is i mean maybe it just hasn't come to a head because he's suspended right now anyway but like they better not just like bring him back and let him play while this is playing out that seems absurd to me at this point like there's gonna be especially if it, it ends up that these allegations are true which i seems like there's a certainly a credible basis for assuming that uh given the allegations and the arrest and the history behind it uh there if he plays for this team and then it turns out that that like he gets suspended again or something or he, i mean he could have his probation revoked he could, he could have to go to jail because of his felony conviction like that's just it's insane to me that they would let him play another game in their uniform until this is fully played out oh and, and i i agree with all that and the hornets don't have to me they don't have the foundation outside of lamello on offense or defense but especially on defense to kind of what to to deal with the the variability that comes in nba season i i like some of their players but but I don't think they can quite get there. And they don't have that level of just like overall talent. I mean, the Hornets, part of the the downside of having poor ownership and poor front office work over the last you know decade or so is that they don't have these like guys, in my opinion, that are ready to step up. They had this draft class that was an abject failure a couple of years ago. And so instead of getting rotation players out of those guys, you're having to work through everything else. And so that is it adds more downside risk for them. And if you want to use my old phrase, disaster potential. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor 
for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I want to go briefly back to the Magic because I actually have the Magic in a tier below the Nets and the Raptors and all these other ones. And I feel a little bit badly about it because I'm a believer. Like there there was a discussion when I did the Southeast pod with Nikai Duncan and Mike Prada, like this idea of like, oh, well, Franz Wagner, you know, he had such a good gear and everything else. Like, oh, well, he might be like tapping it. I think he's going to take another step or two forward. I think he's going to have a really good year. Paolo had this stronger first half than second half. And when Wendell Carter was out there, they generally defended pretty well. This was a positive team when those three players were on the floor together. My concern is that they're still like weirdly shallow in the backcourt and they're weirdly shallow in like quality frontcourt players. So like their top is strong. And, like, yeah, they can do some iterations where they have Joe Ingles out there and he can shoot and he can make good passes. But teams like teams structured the way that they are, just it's hard for them to like really reach beyond this as we see it. Now, maybe Franz Wagner is so good that he can get there. And, like, I would love to see the magic. I'd rather see the magic as the eighth seed than the Bulls, obviously. But I just, I think that, I think it's a year or two away. Yeah, I think you're right there. And some of these things that need to get sorted out in terms of their backcourt and the lack of shooting, it's just, it's not an easy task for Paolo and Franz to run the offense uh, with the overall lack of shooting that they have. Uh, Yeah, so I got Charlotte 29 wins, Detroit 26, just their overall spacing is really, really limited. It seems like they're going to start a star Thompson. We'll see whether they're going to be a defense first team, but you also have a 20-year-old at center. With that group, you're going to be playing either James Wiseman or Marvin Bagley. I don't know who uh, technically won that backup center competition (laughs) for the ages of uh, failed lefty number two overall picks. Uh, I guess we'll wait until the regular season to see that one. And Cade, it's only been two games. We'll see whether he's really able to kind of take that leap. But I think the the only way they get into the 30s and wins to me is like if Cade is starting to play close to all-star level. I'm not quite quite sure that's going to happen for him this year. This is going to be, of course, a key year for him. And then I got the Washington Wizards, 23 wins. There might be times when Jordan Poole or Kyle Kuzma completely blow up. I think their defense is going to be atrocious. <laughs> uh, like the, their, their backup big situation is miserable. I mean, their starting um, big just, situation isn't fantastic either. Like, yeah, he, with, with Gafford. Yeah, he's yeah. A, a lower end at best starting center and yeah. probably better on offense than defense. He does protect the rim at least. So, and, and you know, Poole, I guess, is your number one creator. That's that's not amazing. Uh, they're going to be trying to develop guys. So, yeah, I think 23 wins for them. Okay, 
Conference finals, who you got? I have the West finals being the Denver Nuggets and the Golden State Warriors. I have the Nuggets Mm. winning that series. They would have home court in my projection. And I think that the Warriors, so I have the Warriors and the Suns as the 2-3. Not that I'm treating my rankings as gospel. I think that Golden State has better bones of a playoff team than Phoenix. I don't know that Phoenix can defend the best of the best. Like, who is going to do their point of attack work? And if that person has to, like, that person can't also be their lead wing defender. And I'm not a Yusuf Nurkic believer. And while I love guys like Yuta Watanabe and some of the other options like Keita, Bates Diop, and Nasir Little, like, I think those are interesting players. I don't think they're quite at the threshold of the best lineups that the Warriors can put out there. So it's... It was surprising to me. I didn't expect to pick the Warriors to make the conference finals, especially considering they got summarily dispatched last year. But there are reasons to believe that the what happened to them against the Lakers, that that will change not only with Jordan Poole being out there, but like remember, Andrew Wiggins had such a strange season and they were dealing with all. And I mean, I think that Steph Curry is going to be really, really good. And so that's that's and I think the Suns. The Suns run into this problem, and it happens a lot, where I think their offense is going to be simultaneously very good, but not unstoppable against with the best of the best, and their defense is going to be porous. And while what happened to, the, to them against the Nuggets is probably an extreme, especially considering some of the transition stuff like that, I, wouldn't, I think the Suns could get knocked out earlier in the playoffs than the second round. Like you just they run into a team and they can't really stop them and guy their mid rangers aren't quite falling and I love Devin Booker I mean he's become such a wonderful player I'm of course a KD believer but I don't believe in them as a playoff team yeah I I think I do just because their offense is going to be probably the but I would say them in Denver uh, and maybe it's even them more than Denver when you consider some of the bench stuff for Denver we'll see how that all comes along whether they can put together bench units that are as effective as they were in the playoffs a, a year ago. Uh, but I think this Phoenix offense is just too nasty. Like, yeah, they, I'm my biggest concern for them with injury is injuries. It's mm. not uh, what their team looks like at, uh, at full strength. Like I think they're just too talented. And I think they can score with Denver just as well. Is Denver better than them defensively? You know, we'll see on that one. I, I think that's, that's a, I think that's a very close series. I do have Phoenix uh, in the conference finals. Yeah, I think certainly that LA and the Warriors uh, could get into that mix. I, As of right now, I mean, certainly maybe you could say that the Clippers, particularly if they make a move and everyone is healthy, could get into this mix. But it's just it's been so long since we've seen them playing at that type, type of a level that I just can't get there with them. And, well, and Memphis, I think, is a little bit less than the, some of their parts playoff-wise anyway. So I do think, you know, Golden State, Lakers, Phoenix, Denver is the top four to me. But I think Phoenix, Phoenix is just like I like their matchup against L.A., because LA doesn't have anyone to guard their main guys. And I think Golden State too, like maybe Golden State could make a trade, but I'm just, I mean, man, age 36 for Steph Curry. Like I just don't think Golden State is quite explosive enough on either end. Like I don't see them being a top five offense or defense type of team that gets you into the conference finals. And, you know, maybe Kaminga develops like, you know, the Chris Paul thing, it's just kind of like, yeah, he's nice as like a 20 minute a game player. But like I said, playing him and Steph together and then throwing Clay into like, you're just too unathletic. You're too small. Uh, We saw that even against the Lakers imagine what it'll be like against Phoenix trying to guard as well and you know Draymond Green is just can he play again at that same level like I thought he wasn't quite as effective there's always a chance of some kind of a meltdown involving him as well or a suspension and and I'm not as much of a believer in Clay Thompson uh either like I those three guys I'm just with at the age that they're at 
I thought that they weren't good enough against the Lakers last year, and I think the competition is going to be even harder this year. And like, while I like Golden State's depth a little bit better this year than in previous years, I don't think that that's enough. Uh, those the old Lions might have another run in them. I'm not ruling that out, but I, I'm more of a believer in Beal, Durant, and Booker than I am the top three Warriors guys for sure. Before we move on to to the East Finals, I will note that I have the Grizzlies and Kings. Oh, I guess I should say Kings and Grizzlies four and five. I don't have them there in terms of conference finals equity. I would have the Lakers, the Clippers, and a few other teams over them, like especially with Stephen mm-hmm. Adams reportedly out for the year. Like John Morant's a really good player, and you could argue that they gave the Warriors the best series of anybody in the West in twenty two. But I mean, they just I don't think they have the right kind of the right mix. And Sacramento, like they're a wonderful regular season team. I think their flaws are still gonna persist. And so it's just sure. we the reason I have teams like the Lakers and the Clippers lower is not because I think they're a worse playoff team, it's because they have to actually get there and work through everything else. So like I, I wouldn't surprise me. We saw this last year, if they're if depending on how the seeding breaks out, that I'm picking some upsets in the first and second round. Yeah, so I've got Denver over Phoenix by a whisker. That one might even depend on home court. Uh might depend both those teams are pretty denuded in terms of their assets to improve um you know i think i like phoenix's depth a little more than denver i like denver's starting lineup more uh, than phoenix particularly after the eight nurkic trade but i think that one is kind of a toss-up to me i will go with denver and then in the east I have the Boston Celtics over the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm just concerned about the Bucks' ability to guard. I think if you wanted to craft a team that could defend the Dame Giannis pick and roll, Boston is just about as good as it gets there. Uh, They just have so many active help defenders. Now, I think I've got questions about Milwaukee's coaching, particularly with this weird uh, departure of Terry Sotts, which we'll probably talk about tomorrow more in news. Uh, You know, Boston, they've got maybe some questions there too, but they have a, a pretty deep bench now. I don't think the coaching cuts either way, particularly in that matchup. But I think Boston just has so much firepower. Yeah, you could argue that Dame and Giannis are both better than Boston's best player, Jason Tatum. I wouldn't say that necessarily about Dame. There's also the possibility, quite frankly, that uh, Giannis and Dame could be a little bit on the downside. I mean, Dame, age 34 by the playoffs, that's he, he may not be the same player that he's been important uh, these last couple of years. Uh, anything, what do you want to talk about in the East there? Anything to um, add? That I'm picking the Bucks over the Celtics with largely the, largely the same. Yeah. I, I think that Boston's, the, 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 one of the things that Boston gave up in their trades, which is completely justified, and I'm not criticizing them for it, is their vers- their ability to defend Giannis well. And you brought up the two-on-two game. The two-on-two game is is going to be fascinating between these two teams. But just forming the wall, and I don't believe in Boston's offense. That was true before Joe Mazzula. It is still true for me. And the idea that, you know, the I we'll see what the what facets the Bucks hold on to from the Budenholzer era. But I think they'll be able to do enough because you brought up how Boston can defend some of what Milwaukee can do. I don't think Boston is that that hard to defend for really good teams, especially if you can wall off the rim pretty oh, well. I totally, I totally disagree with you on that. I, I don't, I, you know, like yeah. their their clutch their clutch struggles in the playoffs against good teams over the years have put have 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 put it. Uh, I mean, I I think I have tier one tier one by themselves as a regular season team. I don't trust them. I, I don't trust them at all. And and I'm I I don't think it's going to take. I'll be I'll, I'll I'm willing to be wrong once about them as a playoff offense, and I'll take that L when it comes. I just don't think it's coming this year. 
I mean, I think they're just a totally different team. I think Kristaps Porzingis really changes things, particularly against a Milwaukee team that is so reliant on the rim protection of, of Brooke Lopez and Giannis Antetokounmpo now. And you've got Damian Lillard you can go after. You've got Malik Beasley you can go after. There are a lot of scabs to pick at. And like Boston, yeah, they may not be a great passing team, but they're always going to have good individual matchups out there against basically any team that they're going against, right? If Drew Holiday is like your fourth or fifth best offensive player, like he could just dribble into the lane against like whatever weak point guard is guarding him. And then you send help and like Chris Asperzingas is wide open for a three. Like his spacing to me really changes so much uh, of what they're doing. And we'll, we'll see how he is as a playoff player. He doesn't have that resume necessarily, but I do think he's improved a lot since his Dallas days. And also I think defensively, they've got guys who can switch Dame and kind of get into Giannis not let him just get a free run to the hoop, right? Like that's because that's the thing. Like you are going to double team Dave now. It's Giannis in the four and three. You switch that, and then you still have Kristaps Porzingis, who's a pretty good rim protector behind that group, and you've still got a lot of really active help defenders. I don't know that they're going to shut down the Bucks. I think the Bucks' offense is just going to be nasty, but I I think like the Bucks to me just have so many more weaknesses than Boston. I just don't see a huge weakness for Boston, and I'm kind of more of a believer that the playoffs is about weaknesses. Uh, and, you know, I still think they have Al Horford, who can be really effective uh, against Giannis, particularly, again, if you've got Porzingis behind him, they could also potentially make a deal to get better. So you've got Milwaukee and Denver in the finals? I do. I will say that either the, ser- the finals you're predicting or the one I'm predicting would be delightful, we- like really, really fun series with the strengths and weaknesses of those of those teams and I originally thought I was going to pick the East champion and I was torn about which one it was going to be um I think I was probably more torn than you were um I was originally going to pick the East champion over Denver and then I started thinking about the metronome and the idea that Denver's Denver's offense last year but I believe this to be wholeheartedly real and maybe even better this year they can score on anybody and that is really dangerous against either the Bucks or the Celtics because both of those teams, I know you brought up how Boston's offense conceptually could be more dynamic this year. I'm still a little bit more reluctant. I agree with you on the spacing element, but it's the like individual creation and creativity of their offense parts of it that, I, that I'm there. But like, so I'm theoretically looking, not that you think about it this way, but the Nuggets-Bucks matchup. And I think that Denver will have trouble stopping Milwaukee if that series comes to pass. Denver's biggest weakness over the years has been the dominant dominant pick and roll jump shooting point guard. And I would love to see this series. And the the playoffs, as I'm predicting them, they would face the Warriors and the Bucks and the, the two dominant players of this style over the last decade and Damian Lillard and Stephen Curry. And we'll see whether that can work because they didn't really have to deal with that in quite the same fashion last year. But if I'm if I'm having to bet on whether any team can outscore the Nuggets better than the Nuggets can outscore them, even with the idea that the top, the best of the best are better this year relative to the Nuggets than they were, I'm still picking Denver. Whew, okay. Yeah, I think I would probably pick either Boston or Milwaukee, particularly because if Milwaukee beats Boston, I think they'll be playing at a really high level. I would pick them over Denver. I think that those, now certainly Denver is, is awesome and that starting lineup is awesome and Nikola Jokic uh, was ridiculous. 
this. I also think that in the end, Denver didn't face a great team last Agreed. year. I think that I now could they beat them? Absolutely, but I'm not. I, I'm not necessarily saying well. Be, they're. I think it's going to be a different challenge for them. They could well meet it, but if you look at the way Milwaukee matches up with them, all right, you got Dame Lillard up top that can put Jokic into difficulty. Uh, obviously, they've got Giannis. Who guards Giannis? I guess it's Aaron Gordon, but then Jokic is your help defender, and he's not really a rim protector. You need someone uh, who can be secondary behind things. Uh, the Bucks have plenty of shooting as well. Now, the Bucks don't have anyone to guard Jamal Murray. Like, that's kind of their biggest problem. I think Lopez has a lot of size against Jokic. I don't know that Jokic just, like, posting up on Brook Lopez is like a great match. He'll get his, but it's not like he's going to dominate that matchup in the post. And then you've got Giannis behind, who's basically created in a lab to be the absolute best guy that you could playing power forward, guarding Aaron Gordon uh, to kind of wall off the rim and make Denver do something other than get their stuff right at the rim, which is what makes them so dominating. But yeah, you do wonder how they're going to deal with Jamal Murray. Like that's, I think, the big X factor in that series. But there's a lot of stuff, I think, that, you know, maybe Jokic, is just that talented like I certainly am open to that but I think if you look at how does each team's strengths and weaknesses match up I think Milwaukee's strengths match up pretty well with Denver's weaknesses and then same thing with Boston as well I think the stretch element of Porzingis making Jokic guard all the way out to the three-point line off the ball is pretty interesting and I think uh, if you get into that bench for Denver like that could be a little harder as well Uh, now I think Al Horford is a, a solid option to guard Jokic initially and then you've got kind of Porzingis beyond the play and that's the only way you can even hope to stop these guys is this you know put the power forward on Jokic or put the center on Jokic and have a power forward who can defend behind him uh so yeah and I think if it were Phoenix that would be really interesting against either of those teams too like that's a whole different set of strengths uh, and weaknesses as well but I like to me those four teams are a cut above everybody else and I think any series among those four teams in the finals would be must-see TV for sure it would be. Are you ready to do individual awards? Well, oh, so so by the way, I'm picking Boston okay. over Denver. If I okay. didn't say that yeah. specifically, yeah, yeah. Who's your MVP this year? And again, should we? We'll, we'll reiterate that the way we do this is this is who we think will end up deserving it. We're not trying to predict what our media brethren, much as we love them, are going to try to do. That adds a whole other element. This is just who we think is going to add the most on court value this season in basketball my number one is the same player who has been the best in the right each individual regular season the last three years and that's Nikola Jokic and Jokic is the offense he's the best offensive engine in the league right now and he has taken steps up defensively and there are other players who can absolutely contend I don't think that this is a foregone conclusion but I think that he he is the front runner if he is healthy and I think the pretty clear one I mean, to me, he should already have won three MVPs in a row. I thought he was better than Embiid last year. He kind of, he and the Nuggets took their foot off the throttle towards the end of the season, but he still is just the, the best regular season player in basketball. He's also got the best health record of these guys. I'm going to throw Giannis Antetokounmpo in as my number two. I think Same. he's just primed to have a monster year playing with Dame Lillard. Now he is coming off the knee surgery. Maybe the minutes could kind of catch up with him. I think Philly is still going to be solid. Joel, you know, Derek Bodner was saying he's kind of eased into this preseason. He doesn't expect him to start off uh, amazingly well but Joel has been the second best regular season player in basketball over the last three years I don't see any great reason <laughs> to depart from that I think that I, I, I just is gonna yeah I have somebody else at three and remember I've talked about this before mm-hmm. the way I do it is that the person who I think is third most likely to finish first and that is right. Stephen Curry I think he has one more I think he has one more year potentially as the best or second best offensive player I think the pathway would be that Jokic misses some time 
and the Warriors finish like the two seed. And he can, you know, that the Warriors have a good defense again. And I, I think Curry has that, he has that fastball for maybe one more year. And with Embiid, the idea, like, I, I think that the the challenge is going to be, like, can he beat that guy on both ends of the floor? And I'm thinking that the Sixers, the Sixers need so much from him. And, I mean, he had such a wonderful year last year. But, I mean, I'm fourth. It's not, it's not any, any huge slight here, three versus four. But I, I, I think Curry might get it this year. Yeah, and Bede's life is going to be a little bit harder. We may see his efficiency drop, but I think the Sixers' defense is going to be better than it's been, and I think he might be able to be a part of that, and hopefully Nick Nurse can find some creative ways to use him, maybe by a zone or things along those lines. But uh, yeah, Curry, I just, I mean, particularly a player that old, playing enough games, playing enough minutes when we're talking about the most valuable player. Uh, and I'm just, he's turning 36 this year. Like the, the, there is no track record really of a player who turns 36 in that season playing at an MVP level. So I just, uh, father time, I think it's going to have just a little bit of a impact for him. I mean, if, if Curry's really going to be that good, then, you know, the Warriors should be right in the mix. Uh, I'm just, I'm not sure that he's at that level anymore. You know, I think we may, there's a possibility that that 50 point game against Sacramento might kind of be his last hurrah, just like, this guy is clearly a top five player in the league and i'm not putting it past him he keeps himself in amazing shape but you know father time is undefeated uh you know and maybe he's a top 10 player now instead of top five uh and then i'll round it out with luka Doncic, still a really really good basketball player and i don't think he's going to be in contention to actually win the award from our colleagues because they're just not going to be a good enough team uh and then kd would be my number five there i mean he, he has his own concerns about how much he's going to play but i think the suns are going to be really good i think his life's going to be relatively easy on the offensive end. i think he's going to be ridiculously efficient this season i think he's still a top five player when healthy the biggest question for me with kd is a, a an underappreciated maybe other than this podcast part of direct season was the way he played defense on Brooklyn last year Mm -hmm. will he will he bring that to the same degree this year I genuinely don't know what's our next award I think we can go to defensive player of the year I think that's probably a fun one to do and I was torn between a series of different players I think there are a number of good candidates for this year for this year and it's both the the established guard but then also some potentially some younger guys coming in I mean we saw Jaron Jackson win the award last year I actually have Jaron in the in the also considered category for DPOY because he now with the Stephen Adams news in particular he has to kind of fill a different role and that's going to be hard. And yeah, they'll have Xavier Tillman out there for stretches of time, but the more he plays the five, the less he can be that destructive Rover and everything else. So my eventual top three, though there I'd be, I've listened to arguments about both bucks, Giannis and Brooke, who I nearly put in the, in there as well. I ended up with Anthony Davis, number one, in mm. part because he's the way that the Lakers are good on defense. So it's like, it's in a way, it's paralleling what I do with Coach of the Year, which is like, they have a hard job to do, but they have the talent to do it. And if they do it, then they will deserve it. Um, so he's one. Draymond Green is number two. He was my pick last year for Defensive Player of the Year. And while even I think it's fair to say that he might take a half or a full step back, he's unbelievable. And then number three, and this is a little bit out there, though the there was a reason to believe that it was shooting numbers and other stuff, is Evan Mobley. I love Evan Mobley. I think that he can be that kind of defender and who yeah, can... You're hit. talking about his advanced stats were not yes, amazing in exactly. some, some formulas last year, but the, yeah, he he just had really bad shooting luck when he was on the floor. Exactly. And so with Mobley, I, I think that he his ability to function in different roles defensively, I think the Cavs will continue to shine on that end when he's on the floor. 
I think that he's going to be a real difference maker defensively overall. So, so AD, Draymond, Evan Mobley were my top three. Yeah, AD was my number one as well. I think the Lakers oh. are going to be pretty good. I think their defense is going to be pretty good. Uh, he's the main driver of that, as you said. I think if he is able to play the 65 games that are required for this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, let's remember that. Congratulations uh, to Montez Sabonis, Defensive Player of the Year. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think he's gonna, and he was the best defensive player in the playoffs last year. Now he kind of always gets hurt. He did come in in good shape this year. I think better shape than he's been in. They smell that they have a chance. I think they're rejuvenated. Giannis is probably number two for me. I am hopeful that he took a step back defensively last year, just because he's a little bit hurt and because he just had this huge offensive role. Now I think they both need him to be awesome defensively again. And they got Dame, they got Middleton back, hopefully to run some of the offense. So I think Giannis can have a bounce back year defensively and they're going to need him to. And then I did go with Jaron number three. I mean, Jaron was the best per minute, but of course that's born of a bunch of different things, such as the fact that he commits a bunch of fouls, that he's not going to play more than 30 minutes a game a lot of time. Uh, So until he gets to that 35 minutes per game threshold, at least like 33 minutes per game, it's really hard for me to have him as defense player of the year. I had Draymond last year for that reason as well. I do think just at the age that Draymond's at, missing all of camp as well, going to take them a little while to ramp up they also just kind of have more depth i think that they want to get out there i don't know how his fit is with chris paul either so that may lead to him playing a somewhat fewer minutes and so yeah i don't have him in my top three we'll see uh whether he's able to get to that level if he does then i think the warriors will be pretty good at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'll let you pick the next category. Let's go with coach of the year. It's always a hard category because the it, it's partially like how well a team and remember we're doing this on who we think is going to deserve it like versus expectations. And so I brought this up with defensive player of the year for me. One of the concepts is they have a hard job to do, but I think they could do it well. And so that's for me. Number one is Taylor Jenkins. I think that Jenkins is a really good coach and the absence of John Morant changed at the beginning of the season due to the suspension. And now Stephen Adams, unfortunately, like he has a hard job to do, but I think that they can put it together. And I don't believe in the overall talent level of this Grizzlies team, like some of the ones before they don't have Melton and everybody else, but there are a lot of wonderful other coaches to consider. Um, Eric Spolstra. I mean, he's consistently a very good coach. And one that I wanted to single out there, I have a bunch of also considered. I don't want to go through all of them. 
But um, Ime Udoka, the the job that he's going to do this year is going to be one mm. that uh, one that I'm watching closely because yes, the Rockets' talent level is significantly better. They added Fred VanVleet, they added Dylan Brooks, but the value of a coach who at bare minimum should give them better organization, but I think could do much better than that. I was a, I thought Ime did a wonderful job when he was with the Celtics on you know as an on court coach. And so I don't know, like, it feels weird to kind of like pick him in this because I don't know that the Rockets are going to be that much better. But if they are, I think he deserves a lot of credit. This is the hardest individual award, I would say, to project. And particularly because the way I usually do it is who do I think was the best coach who added the most wins to their team? I try to avoid, to some extent, the expectations game. Now, of course, if you're evaluating a coach, you're like, all right, how much talent do they have? If you think they don't have that much talent, they're going to exceed expectations. And that, of course, is part of it. But for the guys who are consistently really good, that you start to kind of price that in, like Quinn Snyder in his jazz days or Mike Budenholzer in his Bucks and Hawks days. And Jenkins is another great example of that, where these teams always overperform. I wasn't like putting Taylor Jenkins lower last year because the Grizzlies were just as good as they were the year before when I thought he was in the coach of the year discussion and I still think the best coach in the league is Eric Spolstra. I'm just going to pick him right now. I don't. It's tough because I don't really have any like true dark horses that I think are going to be awesome this year that people aren't really that focused on. Uh, I think actually a very interesting possible choice would be Frank Vogel, Danny. Ooh, I like it because if they defend, they're oh gonna yeah, be unbelievable. Like if he can get this group to be you know above the league median in defense with their limited talent but i don't think it's that bad you know i I mean they don't have like great defenders but they don't have anyone that i look at as being like so awful that they're going to be playing really either uh because i think beal will be better this year so i mean nurkic is a little below average i get that but i I think that he he can find a way like that's that's where i'm actually gonna go i'm gonna pick frank vogel as my coach of the year because i think that that that's a scenario i can believe i mean nobody the whole idea of coach of the year usually is like you can't see it coming so that that makes it difficult most improved is kind of in that same way uh i do think eric fulster is the best coach in the nba i'm just like yeah 47 wins for the heat like that's that's tough for me to get behind that as the you know a coach of the year type performance there just weren't that many regular season wins that you added even though i think he's clearly the best in the playoffs so i'll go taylor jenkins number two and i don't have okay see going crazy i only have them with 43 wins but i could see them getting into the high 40s and mark dagnall particularly because when you've done it a couple years in a row you start to get more cred from people um and for me as well i've always been high on him so he might be my number three so fogel one taylor jenkins two mark dagnall number three but i mean there could be i mean a ton of other candidates there could be nick nurse you know if, if philly ends up exceeding expectations like he's i thought he was one of the best coaches in the league two years ago they've kind of he's kind of disappointed since then i mean there, there are just so many very good coaches out there really interesting situations like Ty Lue if the Clippers do really well they're just I could come up with an argument eventually for like 15 of these absolutely you could and first coach to be fired might be the single hardest to do based on the criteria of deserve so you kind of end up melding the two I end up usually doing it as a version of prediction but I will mention a coach I will mention a coach in this and then not pick them as as first coach to be fired because Jason Kidd has a very close relationship with Nico Harrison in, in a world where things were evaluated on, like, let's call it a quote-unquote normal basis, I think I would have him there, but I would not. Um, so instead, my number one, and you talked about the idea with Ty Lu about hypotheticals and, like, that it's, it's all about pathways. And remember that 
not only your team's fundamentally optimistic, but you're dealing in, in like, I mean, every team has variants. And so you're probably dealing with the bottom 25% for any of these coaches to get fired in season. And for me, the one that has that like most possibility, and we're not hearing this name at all, is Willie Green. Because the idea being, it, the Pelicans, like they might have some challenges here. They might have some stumbles, even though I'm higher on them than you are. And he is probably the most likely, the most logical piece for them to change next if they fail to meet expectations. Yeah, I think that they'll make a big trade before they move on from him. I think they just really love him there. Like they've, and he's, I think he's done a good job for them both years that he's been there. Uh, I, I think Jason Kidd is the obvious one to me. I realize he may be close with Nico Harrison, but it's just if they start poorly, and like you said, there's some disaster potential with this Dallas group. Like, that's the only card left to play, basically, at that point. And, hey, he might be doing a bad job. And these definitely some, like, little hallmarks of Kittlefinger and this with Casey Smith, their trainer, and uh, just the overall vibes don't seem great. Kyrie Irving, you know, who knows? He's such a, a wild card. I, I don't know that kid wanted Casey Smith gone, but that's, I think, a reasonable hypothesis uh, of what happened there. And the, just that everyone's kind of not getting along and you just have to go that route. And Jason Kidd is really shown to have a shelf life as a coach. Number two for me is Steve Clifford because mm. he only has a second guaranteed year. I think this season is kind of trending towards being pretty bad in Charlotte as well. There's new management. I mean, I think Mr. Cupjack very easily could be fired as well. I, in fact, if I were the new owners, I would look to have a new GM in place by the trade deadline because Mitch Cupjack pretty old. Like he's not going to be the GM for the next five years of Hornets basketball. I mean, he shouldn't have been the GM for the draft. So, yeah, you'd hope that they would replace him quickly. No, but Michael Jordan was still in control uh, at that point. So, But I think also, like, when you look at the external situation and what their contract situation is, like, guys who are in the last year, their last guaranteed year of their deal, like Clifford, Chris Finch signed an extension, but that's another one where I feel like they may just get desperate if it's not going well and try to find a new voice there is like the last gasp before moving on from Carl Anthony Towns or Rudy Gobert or whoever it is that they're going to have to move because of their unsustainable financial situation. Anybody else you wanted to throw out there? I, yes. There's a few others that, I, yeah, go ahead. I have a couple more. So my number two is actually, I've never made this prediction before. No coach gets fired in season. I think that with some of the, yeah. some of the shaky situations, are like some of the shaky team situations are with coaches that aren't going to get fired, like Monty Williams in Detroit. Like, yeah, I think Detroit's going to fail to meet expectations. Monty Williams is not going to get fired for that. Um, Wes Unsell just got, you know, that option year picked up. Chauncey Billups, I don't think they're going to blame him. They might praise him yeah, if the players He has a five-year deal, too. He's yeah. in the year three of a five-year five deal. deal. And, as the, and, and like, they're just trying to like set a culture and stuff like that. Exactly. Like, I, I don't. They would have to be, you know, Steven Silas level of bad, I think. To even they think they would. It. And then my number three, again, it's the scenarios idea, is Ty Lu. And I wrote, technically, it would be a resignation. But the idea that the Clippers failed to meet expectations, like things are going wrong in season. And like, he just doesn't really want to be there anymore. And however it happens, and that could open the door for theoretically someone else to to do it. I, th- I don't think that, I think Lou does a good job. I think he's a good coach. But on the idea that the Clippers just need something different and go in a different direction. Yeah, I don't think that happens in season. I think maybe after the season, it'll be clear that this is just, this era is over for them. But I like he's considered to be this really good playoff coach. Like I think as long as their hearts are still beating at all, as far as the playoffs, I think the, they would want to hold on to him. I have three uh, they, more. They reject it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Jamal Mosley, Billy Donovan, yeah. 
J.B. Bickerstaff. I think Donovan got an extension, didn't he? I think he did, but he never. Yeah. I mean, they might that, there, that there might be a situation, except except for their owner, where they would just fire everybody. Should have happened a while ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, Mosley is an interesting one. You know, I think they like the way that the development's happening there. I think it would have to just be a total disaster. And I think the only way that happens is if they one of their main guys gets injured, and I think he would get a pass there. But he hasn't gotten an extension yet. I'm sure he was on the usual four minus one, so he could be in the last guaranteed year of his deal. So that's that's always something to look for. I mean, Unsell Junior. I think the stakes are low enough they did exercise the last year of his contract i just it doesn't seem like they. I, I think they i think they want to give him these losses and i think he's happy to take them jb bickerstaff if things really go poorly maybe you could see it happening with the pressure that they have there uh, to succeed with donovan mitchell uh, with him facing a, a do or die extension at the end of this year in terms of whether they're going to trade him or not. I mean, JB, certainly, I think if they flame out in the playoffs, he's probably gone at that point. But if it's like they're 500 halfway through the season, I could see it just happening now. And I mean, maybe Joe Missoula, if like things Mm. really just completely fall apart. Again, that's kind of more due to circumstance, but like they have so much talent. If it's just not working with them, I I think, but that's, that's, I think they're going to be really good. So I'm not predicting that at all. But yeah, so my top three, Jason Kidd, Steve Clifford and Chris Finch as most likely to be fired. I think we will see a in-season firing, but I certainly acknowledge that it's quite possible we won't. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say any of these guys are greater than 50% chance. Yeah, and mine, just, three? J- just to have it out there, um, Willie Green, number number one, um, no coach, number two, and Jason Kidd, number three. I think you're allowed to say no coach. No, no firing. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a that's a more bold prediction than any individual person because it means that you're saying no to you're saying thirty things won't cash. Well, I would I would pick that as the most likely of anything. Probably what has it? That, that, when do, well, when does that happen? As, it almost never well, happens. But more, I would pick no firing as more likely than any one individual. But his, I mean, Dan will probably look this up now. But like, how often has it happened that like it's it's his more historically anomalous? Yeah, but I'm just saying like at, uh, picking the one guy. It's going to be yeah. If you well, my, to say, I'll say my four, so my guys. fourth is Ty Lue, So if you want to put him up, that's fine. <laughs> Though I feel right, dumb this- not having Clifford there but anyway. <laughs> well, you can change up. Like no, you, I'm not going to. allowed to convince each other. Okay. Uh, sixth man of the year. As of right now, it looks like Drew Holiday is not going to start. So he's probably the best player to come off the bench since Monte Ginobili if he doesn't start all season. So that's my pick. <laughs> I think he's going to start enough that he won't be eligible. So, um, yeah, and well, it's remember- only going to be half the games. I, I mean, I guess, yeah, Al Horford won't play back to back, so he'll start in those games. Like, it, it's very possible, but as of right now, he's not slated to start, it seems like. So, mm-hmm. I'm going to. I'm going to go with Drew because he's just so good. It's like if he qualifies, he's going to win. And if he qualifies and, and not only if he qualifies, he's definitely going to deserve it. I mean, he's such a wonderful player. And yeah. part of the part of the element that you and I and you and I in, in this award, maybe more than any other, have differed from the general consensus of the voting population. And that is you and I really value players who oftentimes due to their defensive prowess can function within a closing five. And sometimes they're even a superior option in the closing five to somebody who starts including somebody who's on my list. So I'm going to mention preliminarily, this seems like a strong year for six men of the year candidates, even without Drew Holiday. It's a, um, you know, there, there are a lot of good players and the idea of guys in this group that not only help their teams, but can be in a closing five. So I'll mention a few of my also considereds at the outset. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, we don't know exactly how the rotation is going to shake out in Atlanta. I could kind of make an argument for a couple of different Hawks, depending on who starts and who comes off the bench. Um, 
Chris Paul in the idea. I don't think he fits the closing five mold and I don't have him top three, but he will be important for keeping things stable for the Warriors offensively when Steph Curry's off the floor. And, you know, he could be a part of some lineups. Jose Alvarado, unusual for a guard to be a defensive tone setter and linchpin, but he absolutely can be. I mean, you know, quickly finished second last year to Malcolm Brogdon. He absolutely will be in the conversation again. But my top three is at, thir- at the third spot, Larry Nance Jr. And if I was confident that Larry Nance would play a sufficient part of the year, I would have him higher on this list. But I could because I think he's the best. He's the best f- five on the Pelicans, you know, in in their closing group, and he you know can provide a little bit of floor spacing. But he's also a vastly superior defender to Valanciunas to be. Number two is Norman Powell, and Powell he fits in a lot of stuff. I think that in many ways he is a more logical to me complementary fit for Kawhi and Paul George than a lot of the you know like than let's say Westbrook who was integral last year when he when he came in but this is a different iteration of the team and Powell can he can score he can defend at a reasonable level and everything else my number one though is on the same team as the guy who finished second last year and that is Josh Hart and I think that Josh Hart both can close in various different iterations for the Knicks he provides a lot of what they need and he can help on both ends of the floor he can be an offensive player who you know doesn't have a high usage but doesn't make a ton of mistakes out there and and is a rebounder on both ends of the floor and can take some of the assignments so I don't I, I don't know exactly how Tibbs is going to run his rotation but I, I like Josh Hart and of course if I consider Drew Holiday if I expected he would be eligible he would be number, number one yeah it's always tough because the sixth man usually just goes to Mr. Yay points right like Jamal Crawford winning it over I think it was Jamal Crawford who won it over Andre Guadala when the Warriors went 73 and 9 which is like the most insane thing I've ever heard of in my life but I, I think I skew more towards good players Nance I just don't expect him to play enough I think he's just going to be injured he can only really play 20 minutes a game anyway I do he does pass the test of being in the closing lineup which I think is that's kind of a sine qua non for me of a, a sixth man um you know Emmanuel quickly maybe he's in it maybe he's not like but he's just a really good player I expect him to be even better like he was my pick I believe last year and what I thought was a down year for six men particularly of the type that I like which are just good solid starter level players who are good on both ends Moxie Kleba is always part of this too but I think again a little too injury prone not going to play enough minutes I think he'll still be in the mass closing lineup but I think he's just not quite as good as he used to be. My number two is Trey Murphy, the third. I think, I, I think he, he's going to start when he can play. I hope he does. Well, so you think he starts over Herb? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Will Guillory didn't seem to be of that opinion. So I agree. I mean, I think he, maybe he probably should or that they should, but they also don't have anyone to defend on the perimeter, right? And they're, well, he so also, kinda, he also you know, probably won't be eligible in terms of games played, right? But we can, we don't have to factor that in. Uh, I don't, it's six, I don't think six man is subject to this. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't gone through yet. We're, about six months away from really needing to care about that. I'm not even sure. I guess we'll factor <laughs> that into our grade. We'll factor that into our... You and I have never discussed whether we're going to... Whether we want to adhere to those restrictions or not. Uh, no, we have to. If the guy's, like, straight up ineligible, we can't. We can't. No. The, like, the, the league determines what the criteria are. My, I, I'm going to have, like, a whole all-NBA team that is just all the guys who would have made my all-NBA teams except for the stupid rules. Yeah. Uh, and here's my number three, Caleb Martin of the Miami Heat. I like it. Yeah, just I, I think Chris Paul 
I don't know whether he's going to, I think he'll probably qualify. I'm just not sure how good he's going to be. He's probably going to miss time. Another guy I would consider there is Dorian Finney-Smith. We'll see what kind of year he has. There, there are so many other guys you can throw out there. Josh Hart was on my list also, but quickly he'd probably be ahead of Hart to me. I think Cole Anthony could have a pretty interesting year, uh, particularly if there were a trade uh, above him in that Orlando backcourt. They just desperately need that scoring. Maybe Malcolm Brogdon gets traded relatively soon and becomes part of this. Uh, Malik Monk, Colin Sexton, uh, those are guys who I think kind of fit more into the yay points situation uh andrew nembhart i think is someone who would just be kind of interesting he's just going to be a good player coming off that pacers bench i think he could very easily be closing games potentially so i think that's about it but yeah my top three there uh drew holiday trey murphy the third and caleb martin and who knows maybe all of those guys won't even be eligible <laughs> by the end of the year uh because the, they'll have started too many games we can go to rookie of the year and back before kind of everything happened I, I brought up the idea that i thought relative to their odds that, that i did this pod with Arturo Galetti that i thought scoot henderson was a good bet relative to the odds that you could get for it but victor Wembanyama is the heavy favorite to actually win the award he is incredible you and i got to see him in person a few days ago and it there will definitely be growing pains especially offensively if if pop is going to give Wembanyama the latitude there but the stuff that he does is unbelievable and i mean the way the way that he can defend in isolation against players who are more traditionally wings is just it's going to be so much fun i mean the one of the greatest games this year to play and i mean especially like when your team is watching this playing the spurs if your team is not the spurs Watch the angle of the shots released when Victor Wembanyama is the primary defender. It is an absolute delight. Yeah, Victor's, uh, I think, you know, just seeing him in person again, like he's he's completely lived up to the hype every time he's been out on the floor, except for that first summer league game when they really just said like not practice at all. He wasn't in good shape. Like I think he looks amazing physically. Uh, haven't seen any kind of injury scares. We haven't heard anything like that. Uh, you know, he played plenty in preseason uh now is he gonna be like unbelievable on either end is he close to what he's gonna be i think he's he'll eventually be a way more efficient offensive player i think he'll eventually be playing more around the rim and and uh more of a nuts and bolts help defender and verticality and all that stuff where he really just walls off the rim you know i'm not sure that he's at that point but he's gonna make so many spectacular plays i think he is gonna help the spurs win basketball games this year which it's rare to say about any rookie and well, you might say, oh, Scoot will have more opportunity. Like, Wambadiyama is going to be at least the second option on the Spurs. Like, if preseason is any indication, they're just going to give him the ball and let him shoot as much as he wants to. I don't know if the jumper is going to be that efficient over an 82-game sample necessarily, but he'll get enough dunks and suffer on the rim. And he's just, like, he's a generational prospect. Like, I have no reason not to think that. You know, we're talking about a, a guy who, you know, he might be rookie of the century <laughs> at this point. Like, there's, he, he I think he's going to have an unbelievable season and the idea that maybe he won't put up stats like now he's going to shoot a ton so uh i think uh, unless it's injury it's his to lose scoot henderson is probably my number two uh i, I do have a component of this where if you're saying i generally default to all right who helped their team the most this season but i have kind of a tiebreaker and maybe even like a, an elevator for who i think the best long-term prospect is so that's why i would have chet holmgren number three and henderson number two i think chet particularly because he's a couple years older than scoot will probably help the thunder win games more than scoot will help 
Portland this year. But I also don't want to, and Chet Holmgren's a better prospect than this guy, but you don't want to end up in a Malcolm Brogdon over Joel Embiid type of rookie of the year situation like this. There is a kind of a prospect element of that. And uh, I just don't think this guy's going to have as much opportunity, but apologies to Amen Thompson, who to me has looked fantastic in the preseason and you know might be a rookie of the year if he were on a team that didn't have two starting guards ahead of him and didn't have this historic rookie class. But I mean, these, this is going to be a monster class. I can't wait to see these guys to me one of the key questions is going to be how many rookies are positive players this year and i don't know how many it's going to be i don't even need we'll, i think Wembenyama will be because of the defense that he can that he can bring but often this is one or two guys you know like walker kesslers are rare like guys that are really positive in their rookie year i have a, I, I have victor scoot and chet just like you do and i have a men as a close fourth i i love him i i don't know that it's going to that his his start is going to be as good as like his prime or anything like that. And there are other guys that I think are going to get real opportunities. And I think that that is probably good for their development, but not necessarily like clear that they'll be positive players by that threshold. Asar Thompson, Bilal Koulibaly fit that bill. Looks like both of them are going to have serious minutes for developing teams for better and for worse. And then one other guy I wanted to mention just because I want to see how this year plays out for him is Keontae George. And the opportunities could be there in Utah if, you know, they, they don't like, like kind of like the Orlando Magic where they don't really have that guard infrastructure in place. And so there is a meritocracy element and Keontae George might be one of their two or three best guards by the end of the year. So it wouldn't stun me if Keontae George ended up finishing second or third on my rookie of the year ballot. Yeah, that will be fascinating. We still don't really have a great idea of what the, that jazz guard rotation will look like throughout the year. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. sophomore of the year this is a category that we invented for ourselves and i think as of right now i've got the same guys as i had as my top three rookie of the year paul bancaro uh Jalen Williams and Walker Kessler, but we'll see on Paolo, right? I, I think it's the ecosystem offensively is not going to be that good. I'm a believer in him, but he's going to need to find a way to be more efficient uh, this season. And, you know, I'm just not sure that the coaching and that the guard play is really going to be in a great position to allow him to do that, to really use, to dominate physically, be more efficient around the rim. 
So he's going to have to just make more jumpers. We'll see how that goes. Jalen Williams, by contrast, is in an amazing situation. Now that they've got Chet at the five, the coaching is awesome. They just wind him up and let him drive to the basket whenever he wants to. He's usually going to be guarded by someone who can't handle him physically because that guy on the other team is guarding Shea Gilgis-Alexander. There's not going to be a ton of rim protection because they'll have everybody spaced out and he's just going to get to the basket and finish over and over again. I think he's a developing defender as well. Like he's he's going to be, I think he's going to have a monster year this year. I agree. And that's why I have Jalen Williams one and I have Ben Caro yeah. two and Walker Kessler three. Uh, some other guys to mention, this sophomore sophomore class is going to have a lot of guys like worth watching either in different roles or like with better surrounding talent. Keegan Murray, Jabari Smith Jr., yeah. Shaden Sharp, Jeremy Sohan, uh, Jaden Ivey, and there are others I could throw in. Um, Matherin's going to get the opportunity. I'm just not as big a believer in him. That will come up very yeah. shortly. Um, yeah, I, I think Murray, Smith Jr., and Sharp, those are the other three guys that I really am excited about uh, from last year. I think could take a step forward. But, you know, Ivy, he could he could certainly look good again. It, bad ecosystem, though, just no shooting, playing two bigs a lot. You know, especially if they're, they're going to start Asar, Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duran. Like, Isaiah Stewart is the best shooter in your three through five. Are you kidding me? That's it's just that's going to be a tough, tough ask for anybody who's trying to score on that team. It, it is going to be. Um, I have a proposal for you because most improved players yeah. kind of the last established award that we haven't that we haven't done in terms of individual stuff. Can yeah. we just go through our biggest surprise player list and just kind of imply that there are most improved players in that because it's the hardest award to predict. Uh well, biggest surprise player. I think like yeah. All right, we, we, let's give it a shot that way. Sure, okay. we got. I, I'm not going to go through every player I have for other contenders. It's at least 25 long. And they're in a lot of different flavors, whether it's... Um, I, I like to put on the like younger guys. Like So, for example, Victor Wembanyama is on my list. Like, oh, he's better than we thought he would be. Um, yeah. And then some of them are players who are getting bigger opportunities who I think could thrive in them. Xavier Tillman now has a much larger opportunity. Sadiq Bey in, a, in Atlanta. Quentin Grimes, who I absolutely love on the Knicks. Franz Wagner, I brought up before. I think he has another level, too. And like if he can take those steps forward, then he's moving into different it's not the same as like Shea last year or something like that but it's another big one um and so i'll just mention i'll mention two more and then i'll kind of get to my number one so jonathan kaminga and zaire williams they're both players who have had some weird struggles but i still believe in their physical talent and i think that their teams have a need for what they can do well i'm not saying either one of them is necessarily going to be in the closing fives but i think that there is runway for them and i think they're well suited to do it yeah victor was on my list also i I'll kind of go through these surprises. Not many of these are most improved. It's a little bit different of a category for me. I kind of filtered out the most improved players because that that's kind of, you know, a younger player who improves, kind of gets into like close to all-star level. That's usually more what I'm thinking of for most improved. That also is traditionally what will win the award is like someone who gets over 20 points per game or, or is really in the all-star conversation for the first time. So I'm not saying that this is the case for my surprise players, but uh, Devin Vassell is someone that I, mm. I think could this will be and he'll have the spotlight on him more than Victor in terms of rookies I think Amen Thompson again people just don't have an understanding of what this guy is going to be and uh, I think his shooting actually looks a little bit better in the preseason I don't think that's going to be a big strength but he's just so relentless on both ends and he has the athleticism to make that 
really work. And so like when you're that athletic and his passing is fantastic, when you athletic, you can handle the ball. Really the only weakness in his game, it seems like, is his outside shooting at this moment. I think Bilakulabali is someone who's going to really be on the radar screen as someone who is considered a reach early on. I, I think we, we could be talking about him as maybe the fifth best player in this class, not counting Chad, I guess, but the fifth best player in this rookie class, maybe even fourth. We'll see how uh, Brandon Miller happens to work out. I haven't loved mm-hmm. what I've seen from him early. Uh, I still think he's a, a good prospect, but of course he's always going to be saddled uh, with his draft position. Uh, whoever emerges on the Phoenix bench, <laughs> I have that too. Who that's who that's necessarily going to be, but I mean, there are going to be some guys on minimum contracts that aren't don't have a ton of profile, but who have been good in in other places. Uh, who are going to be in the spotlight a lot this year? I think some of those guys could emerge and be pretty good. Uh, so my my biggest here. surprise player. It's hilarious to pick him considering he already has a twenty point season under his belt. But it ties in with my operating theory of the Philadelphia 76ers. And it's that I think the Maxi and Bede offensive foundation will not be, it will be better than people think. And so Tyrese Maxi going from being a support player to being the, the offensive guard engine. And I think he's going to, I think he's going to be great. I think he's going to do really, really well. So yeah, let's, let's do most improved here because I do have a bunch of other guys. Okay. I'll start. I mean, if you had to pick who like, probably the odds on favorite is to actually win it i think there are two and this is usually one where i track a little bit more with that mikhail bridges we know what the level that he played at in brooklyn but it, it, compared to his season long stats if we're comparing just what he did last year to what he's going to do this year as the number one option you know that's going to be a massive improvement how much he's improved over you know the 15 games that he played with brooklyn after the trade i still think he can be better than that particularly with the summer as the number one guy and then tyrese maxi is the other one uh, to actually win the most improved player or like he's going to have every opportunity i believe to do that and they want to give him every opportunity to do that uh and then i guess Cade cunningham would be my next one again noting i've been a believer in his talent i think they have done him a massive disservice with the roster that they've built around him as of now but i still kind of believe in his talent but there are a ton of other guys out there that i would throw in as possibilities i mean one who's going to have the stats who i think might actually win the award more in the older formulation than the current one is obi toppin but that's more predicting will win just because he's going to have a much he won't win the award because he's not he's not going to get close to all-star level I get, well, yeah, but if no one really does that, then it's the like there was this there was this stretch where most improved player were like early in the dunked on run where I was always really angry with it, it was just like player isn't significantly better player has significantly more opportunity and yeah. does it and that's actually in some ways my number two um so I maxi one and then my number two is Xavier Tillman where I don't think Xavier Tillman is going to be dramatically better in my eyes than last year, but they're going to ask him to do a ton more. And if he can deliver on that, then that's, that's going to look huge. And then I'll have, I'll have, I'll have Cade third. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. I mean, there are a lot of guys on this list that could come to fruition. Evan Mobley is another one. I'm just not sure. I think it's just going to continue to be incremental improvement for him, but they have a lot more shooting around him. I, I just don't think his jumper is going to come along quite well enough for him to make the big offensive stride that's going to be needed. Jalen Green, certainly, it could be someone uh, who could pop this year, although they still aren't going to have a ton of shooting. I'm a little concerned about that, but they have guys who can at least get him the ball. Now, he'll still be the number one option there. Uh, he did take some steps forward last year. Kelly Eco and I talked about that and his prospects pretty extensively, but certainly, he's going to have the opportunity. He could break out 
Austin Reeves, again, comparing sure. his, like, he's a guy that people are, he was on Team USA. People are talking about him as playing it close to an all-star level. We'll see. Like, if he's truly the number three option, he'll be, he'll have to fight D'Angelo Russell for the ball. But uh, the, that certainly could be a, a possibility. Uh, but at least I mean, he can, at least he can use both hands in that fight as opposed to just one. <laughs> Well, I don't think we're like last year to me was the best year we've ever had for most improved. When you consider like Shea and Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson, there are and Markinen. So Markinen, like those four guys were just all guys who came out of nowhere to be like solid all stars. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. was a, a big improvement. There are so many guys who are way better that was re- I was really excited about. I don't think we're going to see that sort of thing. I hope we do. Uh, but, I don't know who yeah. it'd be though. Yeah, now Anthony Edwards, certainly it could happen. Franz Wagner, I think it could happen. I generally have second-year guys ineligible here. Devin Vassell, even Jordan Poole. It could happen. I don't think he's going to make an all-star team because they'll be too bad. But like maybe he just gets back on the track that it looked like he was on two years ago. This is kind of a hilarious one. DeAndre Ayton. Maybe mm. it was just Phoenix holding him back this whole time. I don't think that's the case, but I, I could construct a, a scenario there. I don't think Jonathan Kaminga is going to get the playing time or the high-level stuff. But I think he's looked really, really good in preseason. Uh, Lamella Ball is another yes. one too, right? He's, he's been on off list. the radar screen. Third, third year, or I'm sorry, fourth year uh, for him. And this is also kind of a hilarious one. Ben Simmons. <laughs> yeah, you could you could make a credible argument to have Ben Simmons on both biggest surprise and most disappointing as as a prediction. I think that's a reasonable proposition. Oh, I have a just, well. Uh, I don't think he'd be most disappointing because the expectations are so low at this. Point. <laughs> he's st- he's still deep in my list, but but deep. Um. A couple other guys, more on back to the surprise rather than most improved. I just wanted to mention, mm-hmm. like, flag. K.J. Martin, I think there's a chance that he breaks out of this Clippers, like, forward morass. And it's like, oh, this guy's just a good player. But, and but like, it, wouldn't he be in, like, he's not, it doesn't sound like he's even starting the season in the rotation. Though. Yeah, but I, th- I think there's a chance that he closes the season in the rotation. And so, like, okay. it's, I mean, I think if he was going to get there, they, he would have at least, like, formed, like, carved out a niche by this point. Yeah, you, you say that like I don't also have Moses Moody on this list, who, who also, also seems to be buried in Steve Kerr's rotation. But one other guy I want to mention, where it's maybe more other people appreciating something that you and I grew to appreciate last year, and that's Wendell Carter Jr., He's just a, a talented player, and like he can, yeah, he helps what they underrated. helps what they do offensively and defensively. And so, I think the biggest way that he could get that attention is by the Magic having a better season than expected, which I I'm not projecting right now. But there are scenarios, of course, where they do that. Oh, and biggest surprise, yeah, sorry. Oh, and and one other quick guy on that, Max Drews. I, I think that he's a, a, a compelling fit for that fifth closer spot for the. Cavs and maybe they can maybe like just having somebody who can do what he can do offensively as opposed to what a coro what a coro does well and poorly like there might be times where there's just like oh wow this is a totally different team are you ready for biggest surprise team yes but i don't have a great candidate here um i i think that Me neither the the nature of this season is that a lot of teams you know like the teams that will be improved it's they a lot of them will have a track record and so or it's teams at the bottom getting better where it's like it's not that sexy so i picked the boston celtics and the reason why is i think if there's one team and that and remember i didn't pick them to make the finals if i if there's one team that just runs rough shot over the regular season to me it's them and it's possible that denver yeah. does it but the idea that they just like win 60 plus 
and you're just like, oh, shit. Like, to me, that's Boston. Yeah. But like I said, they're the only team that I'm projecting to have a top five offense and defense right now. And that's if you're going to get into that type of level, that's kind of where you need to be. Who did you consider? I have four teams that came to mind here. OKC is obviously one. I think that most people would say that. Uh, so it's not. But like, could they just all these young guys break out? And Shea is uh, you know top five MVP candidate. He's close to that last year. In San Antonio, like they have. They're on mine. One of the greatest coaches of all time. And, you know, Wembenyama, some of these young guys, they could just break out. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, actually, I think, have some pretty good upside potential with a full year under Quinn Snyder. And I think they could just, they don't, as you mentioned, they don't have a lot of holes on this team. They don't necessarily have guys that I love breaking out. I mean, maybe that's Jalen Johnson and a Kongu are the only guys who really fall into that category. But I think Trey Young could have a bounce back year. And then in terms of regular season, I could absolutely see the Cleveland Cavaliers being either the one or the two seed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have them tied for the two seed right now. And particularly if Boston were to falter, like they they just have, a, now hopefully Jared Allen will come back pretty quickly from this ankle issue it sounds like he's on the mend but this is a group that i think like if they can maintain their defense with those two bigs and add shooting like maybe they get into being a you know a solid top 10 offense i know they're on the fringes last year and you know there should be right in the mix in the top five defensively I will mention that I have two teams in both biggest surprise, the, the, the biggest surprise and potentially most disappointing. And it seems thematically appropriate that the Sixers and the Pelicans, where I see the way that it works out really well for them. I mean, the, the idea of how good the Pelicans were for stretches last year, I think it's gone by the wayside considering how last season ended for them. And with the Sixers, I've already brought up the idea that the hardened absence may mean less to them than some think. But then there's also the like the disaster potential with both of them. And I'll talk a little bit more about the Pelicans one later on. It's going to tie in with one of my other picks. And with the Sixers, the idea that that some of what worked last year was unsustainable. And while I think Nick Nurse can can do some different things there, that it doesn't fundamentally transform who they are, and that if Harden if they don't really replace Harden with anything, like, you know, if they can't replace him with a player who is similarly as good, then their just overall talent level isn't quite as strong as it could be. And then that's in the overall. So, so I have them in, I have them in both. Yeah. I've I've got three teams all in the Western conference that I have was my most disappointing. That's the new Orleans Pelicans, Minnesota Timberwolves and the Dallas Mavericks. And I think two of those three teams, at least just the way that the math has to work out, they're probably going to be in the plane. And that would be a big problem for those teams. And the Pels have injury issues, Minnesota, just their fit. I just don't see how they're going to really get to be that good on the offensive end. And, you know, we'll see on, on defense, but if they're playing Carl Anthony Towns a lot, like there's kind of a ceiling there too. Uh, And I mean, when you say most disappointing, a lot of that gets, comes down to, well, what does it mean for this team, this era of basketball? Clearly, Minnesota has big stakes in terms of their financial situation. Disappointments lead to big changes. Maybe that leads to, you know, these rookies that they have in Dallas aren't that great. And uh, Luka Doncic is one of the people who thinks that the, what has happened in Dallas is very disappointing. And he starts to consider leaving. Uh, no indications of that yet. But if they they have another season in the play-in or out of the playoffs, I mean, that's that might be curtains for him and then new orleans just the injuries have already started it just it always seems like a disaster it's just hard to get on board with zion williamson making it through healthy if he doesn't that in and of itself will be a a massive disappointment so those those are the three uh but certainly there's Mm -hmm. 
well, ripe I'll, for disappointment yes. in the West. So I, I have all of those teams on my potential list, but I don't have any of them in my top three. Mm. And that's and, and so I picked my my I have a co number one, and it's because I think of them as two sides of the same coin. Miami, the Miami Heat as a regular season team, but not as a playoff team. And the Phoenix Suns as a playoff disappointment, but not a regular season disappointment. And so, I'm as I've mentioned, I don't believe in the Suns' defense. I think that it will be a problem. I think that they will, that they're a very talented team that will run into a problem or two. And Miami, I just don't think they're that good a regular season team, so their playoff prowess might not matter as much. And then the third team in this group is the Clippers. I mean, for those who have listened to these two hours of the podcast, you might remember I picked the Clippers to finish as the nine seed in the West, and that would be very, very dangerous for their future moving into the Intuit Dome and how everybody interprets it. And there is a pathway for the Clippers to be far better than that. But if the goal for them is to, let's say, win a playoff series or two this year, they're going to have to have a lot of things go right, and that's a lot to ask. Yeah, I'm not picking this to happen, but Sacramento is certainly a regression by them uh, back to kind of the you know, play-in sort of level, which is quite possible. Uh, that might be considered, if they were the three-seed last year, a big disappointment. I'm going to throw the Detroit Pistons in there, too. They're the, la- they're the last team like, on it, and I kind of wondered, I'm like, are their expectations so high? But yeah, I mean... Well, just in the sense that I just don't think they're going to have a very good year. Agreed. And particularly, at, like, again, I'm a Cade believer, but it's just it's going to be hard for him to be efficient this year. And, like, I like Asar as, like, a solid player, but I don't think he has superstar potential. And, like, you know, if Jay Nivey and Duran and, like, uh, Cade, like, I just, it's going to be hard for me to see them all taking a really big step forward. And if you're kind of like, man, like, what, you know, maybe Cade's just kind of like, you know, a solid player, but maybe not even, like, it doesn't look like he has superstar potential after year three. And, like, we don't have, we've been tanking for four years and we don't they've been kind of tanking kind of not but they're like we've been in the wilderness for four years and like we don't even necessarily have a future all-star on this team and you might and this That's, and you might not get it this draft either depending on how it turns out yeah good could be most disappointing player there are a couple of different varietals here that i want to go through so one of them is the young <laughs> the, the, but they're all so delicious is the <laughs> is the well i don't want to dwell too much on these guys because obviously i want everybody to do one everything so one of them is the young player who they're asking a lot of them and they may not deliver and that group for me the top three are scotty barnes Cade cunningham and josh giddy where Cunningham and and Barnes, I mean, Cunningham, I think, is the best player of those three, but his situation is really tough. Barnes, the the Raptors, we haven't talked about a ton in this conversation. We will probably in a couple of categories still remaining. But like, I, I think there's there's some real disaster potential there. And then with Giddy, I think that there is a formulation of the Thunder where he's not in their best five and where he's a very good player, but he's been over overrun by both Shea Gildas Alexander and Jalen Williams, where you, you just don't want the ball in his hands. And if the ball's not in Josh Giddy's hands in their best lineups, he's too limited defensively and everything else. So that's one varietal. Another varietal is the non-young player who is in a role that they're not necessarily capable of handling. And for me, that group includes Yusuf Nurkic, Malik Beasley, who looks like he might be the fifth guy, at least at the start in Milwaukee. I don't think he's good enough at that to do that. And Terrence Mann with the Clippers, where I like Terrence Mann, and it's, st- it's stunning to me that he's been 
this linchpin in the talks with Harden. I think he's a good player, but not a great player. And so I have those two kind of threads and my number, but the guy I actually am picking for most disappointing player is in neither of those camps. And it's this, I've been teasing this like grand operating theory of the Pelicans. And here's what it is. Brandon Ingram is simultaneously a very good basketball player and a very bad fit with a Zion Williamson focused Pelicans team because of his mentality offensively and just what he does and what he doesn't do. And I, my theory of the Pelicans is that this year will be that indictment that both Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum are talented players in their own right, but don't make sense. And that there will be times when each of them misses some time and people wonder, are the Pelicans better off without them? And whether the brass comes to that conclusion or not, that's what I think is going to be the story of their season. Yeah, we should add a category in the future, like most likely team to make a big trade. <laughs> uh, but they they would be in it, I would think. And I wonder, I know they more likely to do that if Zion is actually playing well. Maybe I mean, Will Guillory is talking about how they're you know they're still going to try to solve this center issue that they have tried a number of different iterations with Stephen Adams and Jonas Valanciunas. I, maybe someone who could shoot. Do you think that would be they, they not allowed? Be um, so most disappointing player, I think. You know, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, whoever you want to blame for that. I'm going to say Gobert more. I just, I don't, based on what I saw last year, I just don't see him getting back to that defensive player of the year level. And that's obviously what they brought him in to do. Uh, you know, Zion, of course, with the injuries. Dylan Brooks is an interesting one. You know, if he just is 50% true shooting again, and now maybe he makes their defense a lot better, and that's kind of what they brought him in to do. But also, it's like, yeah, you're paying the guy $20 million a year. Chris Paul, I think, could very easily be a disappointment with Golden State. Uh, they're just going to have to be, I think, pretty judicious about the lineups that he fits in, and then I think they can get something out of him. But, you know, if you're playing him with Looney, you're playing him with Steph and Clay at the same time. I don't even know how good the fit is with Draymond, for example. Like just there's a reason that the Warriors don't always play pick and roll, and that's the way Chris wants to play. They want him to play that way, but you know, is he gonna do that at all like when Steph Curry is on the floor? Like maybe they give him the ball and Steph plays off the ball, but then what do you do with Clay? It's, I, I don't know. I, I'm a little concerned there. Uh, I think there's another category of guys that got brought in. These are actually players that I like, but for the, what they're being asked to do with their new organization, that they may not be up to it. Uh, one of those is Max Struess. He's going to start at the three. Good player. I think he's uh, better defensively than some two guards. But like, is he going to guard the best player one through three on the other team? Is that what they're doing? Or are they just going to have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell just guard their positions? Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. And we'll see even if Struess you know, is able to shoot the ball the way he does at his best because he's been very streaky there the other guy in that category for me is grant williams Mm. where he's being he's being asked to again i think uh, almost be their best defender one through four and he's really i think kind of better on bigs maybe he can switch on to threes doesn't do so good on ones and twos like if he's going to be your best perimeter defender in some of these lineups i think that's just putting too much on him and you know Kyrie Irving certainly uh, could could be on this list at any time due to injury or, or volatility. Miles Bridges he's, uh, he's does already, he count? <laughs> well, because he, he certainly are, he's already disappointing. Um, um, I'll, I'll echo what you said on Scotty Barnes too, just because it's it's just gonna be really hard for him to succeed. And I'm not like a massive believer in his offensive talent anyway. Um, a couple other guys that are in big roles that I, I'm concerned about potential struggles: Benedict Bathrin, where. 
Mm. I I love Tyrese Halliburton, but Matherin, he's intriguing, but I don't think he's good enough at the things he's good at and his weaknesses. I mean, his defensive game was very flawed. And Kate, Kate, for those who read Caitlin Cooper, like she's done a great job in both the positive and the negative on Matherin. And if the Pacers are going to have a better year, like I think that it might end up being that he's a weak part of it. And I'm not saying like Buddy Heald is clearly a better player or all these other things, but it, he's he's not you know, he's not good enough at, at, at his real strengths. I brought up CJ McCollum in this before. And I kind of want to put like a side note, because I had Scotty Barnes in there, like every current member of the Toronto Raptors. Like, I just think that their overall offensive situation is going to be so chaotic. And I'm going to throw in, even though I love him as a player, former Toronto Raptor Fred Van Vliet, where those who think that Van Vliet is going to be like the savior, or the like offensive linchpin for them. That's just not what he's been best at. I think he's going to help them a lot. And the Rockets going from being like the like the worst turnover team in the league to being far from the worst will make a world of difference for them. But like, I don't think their half court offense is going to be setting the world on fire in any way, shape, or form. I agree there. I, I think it's just there. I know they paid him a max contract. I don't think they're expecting, you know, quote unquote, max level production. When I talked to Kelly about this the other day, it seems like they're just, you know, they paid him this, but they only paid him for two years uh, with a team option for a third at the max. And he's just a fit guy. who's just going to try to make everyone's life easier more than I think that he's expected to necessarily be the engine. I, I can't believe I have to mention Torian Prince for this, but if the Lakers think he's going to have to start, if the Lakers think he's going to have a big role, Torian Prince. Yeah. Now they, I did note that uh, Jared Vanderbilt is not going to be ready probably to start the season, so he may take over that starting role eventually. I mean, if Prince could be a body and make some shots, maybe, but I, I don't know if he is a body <laughs> defensively. And I'll throw one more in here, too, because I think he's really primed for a shooting regression, and that's Nikola Vucevic, who is way ahead of his career norms on those short-range flip hook shots that he likes uh, and floaters. And so if that regresses back to what he shot in his career, uh, he's going to take a big step back offensively this year. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We only have... What else we got here? We only have yeah. two words left, and they're both executive-related. Nate, I will give you the choice. Do you want to do executive or not executive first? Let's close on a happy note. So let's go with not executive of the year. And I have two guys who I think are going to be in somewhat similar situations and have been frustrating in the same level of the East. And that's Masai Ujiri and Arturish Konishavis. And I think both of them are going to be in situations where they have free agents. They have a group that's kind of trending towards the bottom end of the play in. And yet they still don't make the moves to take a step back. In part, Ujiri, because they have the top six protected pick. But I still think they should have aggressively explored moving on from Siakam and same with Ananobi 
Kobe. They already lost Fred Van Vliet, which is a, a big part of this uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, he's in terms of just everything that's happened so far, he's probably the leader in the clubhouse at the moment, other than one that I will talk about in a second. And Arturo's same way. I mean, what, are they going to just hold on to DeRozan? Are they going to extend him? What are they doing there? Like, they already brought back Vucevic as well. It's just not a lot of vision, it seems like, with this group. And, you know, they would say we got torpedoed by Lonzo Ball not being healthy and all that. But that's not really, to me, an excuse for not reacting to that situation as it occurred. So that's my number two and three. Any any comment on those two guys before I give you my number one? I have both Masai and Arturis on my list. I actually have Masai one and Arturis four. Um, and in part because the kind of the difference in opportunity cost and and the way I like to think of the time horizon for executive of the year is that it's from the like you know let's say like June 15th to you know to when to when the award is decided and for Ujiri to have basically just brought back this group and made the tactical errors that they did with Fred Van Vliet is very very frustrating that doesn't include the decision with Pirtle at the deadline and to just be holding on to them now like they haven't changed direction and we're looking at a shaky season the other two included, who are my number two and number three for now. Number two is Mitch Kupchak. And you and I, a lot of times, we end up for this award going back to the draft. And like the draft is some, especially for young teams, the most important decisions that you make. And taking Miller over Scoot Henderson will loom large. And it might not be that, that all gets decided this year. We know that rookie years are not necessarily dispositive for how a player is going to be. But it's also just the lack of proactivity, the lack of really doing doing much else with their roster has been very frustrating to me. And like the, and now the awkwardness with Miles Bridges, some of which was out of their control, but distinctly not all of which was out of their control. And then the other one, so Ms. Ujiri and this other gentleman, Zach Kleiman, are both general managers that I think highly of. But with Kleiman, it's the it's not that he held back in the same way, you know, like the Raptors, it was that they stopped the rebuild. It was the way that they approached kind of what they needed to add in. And so for the Grizzlies to be just kind of sitting on their world, they never used their mid-level exception. They have a big trade exception out there. They knew Brandon Clark was going to be out for the year. And I don't know how, where their information internally was on Steven Adams. but And they knew John Morant was going to miss the beginning of the season. And he, here's hoping he doesn't miss further time, but we don't know that at all. To simultaneously like not make other moves on the periphery, but then throw this much into Marcus Smart. It To me, like that's puzzling. And I could end up seeing it as a circumstance where they're they're a little too hot and a little too cold. Yeah, Chris Harrington and I talked about that a little bit. I, I think Kleiman did pretty well this offseason. I, you know, obviously, given Adam's situation, I think they felt like he was going to be out there. I mean, he was starting the preseason and camp and stuff, and it just uh, he was never able to. I think maybe he had some further episodes with that PCL issue or whatever it was. Uh, I again, as you said, I don't know how much to blame them for that. They could have used maybe one more experienced big, particularly knowing that Clark was out. But I liked the smart trade for them. I think they did that with an eye towards the playoffs. They're not as regular season focused. They're going to try to develop some of these young guys. Maybe this ends up being a little bit of a gap year, but they at least have gotten smart. I think they identified him. The price for him was not too crazy. We'll see. He may just be in a different phase of his career right now, and uh, that could be a little bit of an issue. But I'll know quickly. I moved. I, I, you convinced set. me to move our tourists to three and climb into four. Yay! <laughs> see, now you wish we ended on uh, this happy note instead of instead of executive of the year. 
<laughs> well, Mitch Kupchak is my number one, and we'll see. Masai, if if you could put the Pirtle trade in as part of this, I would probably have him number one. But sadly, he, that part of it is ineligible. And yeah, I think Kupchak, the Miles Bridges thing. A, at least he didn't give the guy a long term contract. True. But the, the way it's being handled right now, I don't approve of. That's that's more of a moral than an on the court issue. But yeah, in the Brandon Miller move, and then also like if they're trying to win, they have no backup point guard. I thought they had a good backup point guard in Dennis Smith, and I get maybe he just wasn't good behind the scenes or something. But they he left for a minimum contract. They certainly they didn't use their mid level. They easily could have paid him more to retain him. And they like their backup point guard is supposed to be. Frank Nilakina, who's now injured, or Nick Smith, who's number 27 pick in the draft. That that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. You know, they don't they could have maybe gotten like one semi-veteran big man in, although I think they like Mark Williams and Nick Richards, and they want to take the club out of the bag for Steve Clifford. And so I, uh, you know, Cody Martin doesn't seem healthy still. Like they're kind of counting on him. But of course, it all goes back to the Brandon Miller thing. And maybe Brandon Miller will have a really nice year and prove me wrong. But the idea, like, oh, we can't take Scoot because we have LaMelo. Like, I don't think LaMelo is that good to be a sacred cow. Or, I mean, I would even, I would have tried exploring trading down. Or maybe I even would have just taken a Men Thompson there too. But uh, who I actually think is like kind of a good fit next to LaMelo. But yeah, I, I'm not as much of a believer in Brandon Miller. We'll, we'll see though. He, he does like, he should fit pretty well into a lot of different lineups, but I just don't see him as a possible superstar, which I do for these other guys. For executive of the year, I saw it as three front off, three three decision makers who made big additions and one who succeeded in his subtractions. And so I'm not going to order them yet in part because I think you can help convince me of this. And so the addition pieces, figures were John Horst, who brought in Damian Lillard. Of course, that did come at the cost of Drew Holiday and some draft capital. Brad Stevens, who brought in Drew Holiday, but also brought in Kristaps Porzingis. And James Jones, who brought in Bradley Beal at the lowest asset cost of that group. Though you could make an argument for Porzingis as that part, but they, of course, had other things going on. And then um, the other one on the subtraction side would be Joe Cronin, who traded away Damian Lillard and got a lot for him. Yeah, I guess we'll see what the Phoenix Suns uh, end up being. Uh, and it's kind of unclear who's running the show in Phoenix, too. Is it Ishpia? Is it Josh Bartlestein, who's been doing a lot of the trade negotiation? Uh, at this point, he was mentioned in Woj's article. And uh, very interesting how the coverage of Woj's or, or the tenor of Woj's coverage with the Phoenix Suns has changed uh, since the, the ownership change. Uh, and, you know, Josh Bartlestein is Mark Bartlestein's son uh, as well. Uh, so there, there are plenty of tendrils there. And it, of course, uh, Joe Cronin, I thought, did a really good job on the Dame and the subsequent Drew trade. The teardown, I'm I'm still not as interested in the teardown as the build up. Uh, you know, there weren't great build up uh, candidates in previous years, but this year I think there are. So Cronin is my number three. I would probably have James Jones as my number four. Uh, also, also, honorable mentions to Michael Winger for finally convincing Ted Leonsis to start rebuilding. Rob Palinka, I think the Lakers had a pretty nice offseason just bringing their guys back, bringing Gabe Vincent as well. Well, and getting Austin, getting Austin yeah. Reeves on one of the most ludicrous, like out of like out yeah. out of norms contracts in the whole league. 
Yeah, Kevin Pritchard also, I thought Mike Dunleavy, even if I don't love the Paul fit, just the financial component of getting him and moving on from Jordan Poole, I think it was pretty good. Rafael Stone wasn't able to get Brooke Lopez, They but it didn't end up hurting them too much in the end. And I think you know, he got his top two targets in Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet. They're going to be better this year. Well, And it's targeted coach. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. no, that's a great point. Yudoka is probably the most powerful voice in the organization now. You would well, say. and bringing in that but, coach might have convinced them not to go after James Harden, which kudos. John Horst, though, is my number two. I think the, the Dame trade and the only downside of that was letting Drew pop right back to Boston afterwards. I don't think there's any way he could have avoided that in the end. But I mean, you heard the noise from Giannis Antetokounmpo and you're not hearing that noise anymore. So that's a huge part of it. And hey, they're one of the four championship contenders again. I think they're a better playoff team now than they were. And I mean, Damian Lillard is going to be amazing. Like, that could be the best duo in the NBA. You put you could put that duo together, you do it. But my number one right now is Brad Stevens. I think that that one of the underrated aspects of the Porzingis trade was that they also picked up additional assets. Some of those were in the Drew trade. I mean, that just the overall amount of talent on this team, one through five, one through six, is just ridiculous. And I, it was quite a risk to move on from Marcus Smart, but they just upgraded the talent so much. I think also that Smart might be moving into a new phase that holding on to smart when he maybe wasn't going to be the same player that was sort of viewed as like oh well you're taking this big risk by moving out for it but you're taking a risk by holding on to him too because maybe he's just not gonna be as good and i think there's a little bit of a stale mix there and i think like these guys are just they have so many good players and i think people are gonna it's gonna take people a while to really understand that as long as porzingis can well, stay and- healthy Another element of the Porzingis thing, and I have Brad Stevens number one as well, is they got him on a reasonable extension. Like they, 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 oh, they yeah. circ- the circumstances that he, he got that. And so to have him locked in, they have this whole group. And yes, they're going to be expensive, but if they play as well as we expect, then that will be a, a, a good place to be overall. And yeah, we it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. We, we agree on our top four in order. Stevens, Horst, Cronin, James Jones. Oh man, I can't wait. I'm really excited for this season. Oh, we, we actually, like we have one more rookies. thing to predict. What is it? The winner of the first in-season tournament. Yes, yes. Yeah, which we, I mean, we're going to be covering that like crazy, by the way. For those who don't know, I think we're going to do gamers on pretty much every in-season tournament night, except for one. Uh, we're going to do... I think we have one NBA League Pass night. We're going to do playback on a lot of those nights as well, shifting between games. Like, that's going to be really a lot of fun. I'm so excited for this. I really, I know I'm usually a skeptic, but I really, I I really want to see these guys playing hard. It's a new format. Like, hopefully teams aren't going to mail it in. I think you might see teams mailing it in, like, when they've already been eliminated in the group, perhaps. Like, I don't think teams are going to be like, oh, yeah, we got to really play spoiler here. But I think especially once you get into those quarterfinals, and I'm going to be there in Vegas for the semifinals and the final. I think it's going to be a huge party being in Vegas. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. So who is your prediction to win the inaugural in-season tournament? Noting that predicting any kind of a one-game situation <laughs> is even more fraught with peril than our usual predictions that are always wrong anyway. It is. And the thought that I had going back to my days years ago predicting the NCAA tournament by things other than which mascot would beat the other in a fight is consistency. And to me, the team that is the most consistent should they apply themselves is Denver. And so I think that the idea that they're hard to play in a one-off setting, Jokic is such an unbelievable talent. 
I don't know if they'll be getting up for it because it is early in the season in their title defense year, but that actually might kind of help them because we've seen mm-hmm. some of those, you know, like the parallel I've thought about a little bit is like the the 15-16 Warriors where it was a surprising champion, but they were a really good team and they want to show everybody that they're, they're as good or better than you thought they were. And so the, any one of the top teams, and I, I think there are going to be some really fun upsets in this, like because you think about some of the the inconsistencies game to game, like you, you'll see some good teams get knocked out early and everything else like that. But I started this podcast by predicting the metronome. I'm going to end this podcast predicting the metronome for Denver. Well, actually, should we let's we know what the groups are. Let's try to just go through and predict the whole thing. Why not? Okay. But I would have Denver as well. I've, I got to go back and look what their group is, and I guess who they would have to play in the quarterfinals as well. Do, do we have the quarterfinal the matchups already? Um, I think we. I think we do. Yeah. It says. Let's, let's it says it's figure it out. It here. says it's pots. Like they're they're going to pots. Oh, so we don't know exactly what. Uh, no, because I think and I think it it can be west versus east in the. I, I don't know exactly how it works once we get until we get that once we get down to eight. I think it is. I think it's West versus East, though, right? Like, there's four East and four West teams. Yeah, there have to be. There have to be because there's a each each has a wild card. Yeah, so so the final will be West versus East, right? Okay. In each conference, quarterfinal games will be hosted by the two teams with the best record in group play, and then the team with the best record in group play will host the wild card team. So it is conference to conference that you stay within the conference at least through eight to four. And then at four, it, I think it is all the way to, to one. So I like did one, yeah. one V1. Okay, I thought I read that too, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so so let's, but I agree with you. I, I will probably end up picking Denver but because they have the most continuity as well. I think they just have the best chance of like being at that really high level and like Jokic, Murray, like they just have something that works. Whereas the rest of these teams, I think are really going to be kind of leaning into figuring out what they are. But I think a lot of these teams are going to try. They're going to want to set a tone. Also, it's probably not lost on a lot of these players that this is likely important for the TV negotiations. We're going to talk a lot more about that. Uh, there's been some recent reporting on that as well tomorrow and that of course is such a huge aspect of how the league is going to function and where the cap ends up in future years and evaluating contracts and stuff but yeah i think i like denver just because they're kind of the best way they they've got the best thing going right now and i think it's going to take teams like the suns the clippers uh, to more time to kind of get things in order same thing with uh boston and and milwaukee um, so yeah, let's should we go through the groups? Or, yes. Or do you have let's go. Else? No, let's. So okay. West Group A: Grizzlies, Suns, Lakers, Jazz, Blazers. Yeah, I think I like the Suns there, and I mean, so there's three groups in each of five in each conference, and then you have the two best second place finishers also making the yeah the best finals. in each conference. Yeah. Now the Grizz not having Morant at all, that's going to hurt. Yeah. So, and the Jazz and the Blazers. So, I mean, clearly, and also it's a lot easier to be the second place finisher with the most points when the other three teams in your group aren't any good. So I like the Suns. And then I also like the Lakers as one of the extra teams. Yeah. I like the Lakers. The Lakers, I have the exact same thing. Suns winning, Suns winning the group, Lakers as the wild card of the whole Western Conference. Group B, Nuggets, Clippers, Pelicans, Mavericks, Rockets. Well, you got to like the Clippers more early in the season when they haven't had a chance for like their worst guys or, or their, their best guys to get hurt. Uh, so, yeah, I like the Clippers pretty well there. I want to see what, what's going on. In, well, in I mean, C. the Nuggets, Nuggets are also winning group yeah. B, obviously, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think Nuggets and Clippers is probably because, again, you well, you've got Pels, Mavs, Rockets. That's like 
you know, we'll see where the Pels are at. Probably won't have Trey Murphy for a lot of this. I don't think the Pels can be playing great at the start of the season. Mavs don't look like they're clicking all cylinders. So again, kind of my theory of the other three teams in the group not being that good. Uh, whereas I think Group C doesn't have the top end, but you probably have the deepest group. Uh, that's Kings, Warriors, Wolves, Thunder, Spurs. I guess I'll pick the Warriors to win that one. And well, then, yeah, I guess. So I, I think so. Yeah, you can only get one wild card. Correct. Team, right. Or yes. Yeah, so but because you have to have four from each conference, right? Correct. Like you can't have a wild card team like a second wild card team from the West. Yeah, it's the it's the, basically you treat them as separate bins for the whole beginning part. So it's the three okay. the three the three group winners and the best point the best like total for a non group winner in the West. Yeah, I guess this is boring to say Suns, Lakers, Nuggets, Warriors when that's my final four probably in, in the West anyway. But as, especially given the way the groups work out with the rest of that group. Well, okay. Well, so who is the most likely team to challenge that group? I think it's the Clippers. I I feel that's the case as well. But again, we're talking about four games here. So, you know, if Oklahoma city goes in and beats golden state, like one game, uh, that's an upset, especially because we're talking about four games. We're not talking about eight where it's a home and home. So uh, we would probably also have to look if we're really going to take this series, like who plays at who for like the big games in the group. But let's say, uh, for example, a Minnesota goes in to Golden State and wins. That completely, that one result completely changes how the group works out. We'll do more of this once we really get into the in-season tournament as well. I'm just really looking forward to like learning all this and covering it and stuff. But yeah, all right. So, so that's why four in the West, and then I think I'll, I'll take Denver to. So Denver will probably play the Lakers. And then it'll be Suns Warriors. Oh, that would be amazing if it's Suns Warriors. Yeah, you get a Western. You get uh, you would get opening night Redux. Yeah, so I think I think then your Denver Phoenix probably in the in the semis. Oh God, I hope I'm, that's what happens. I mean, we're going to see an upset for sure though. Like this is uh, in a one game scenario like this, and particularly when it's not a playoff series where teams can find their find their footing. Like there are definitely going to be some really interesting upsets. But yeah, I, I guess I'll go with Denver over Phoenix in the West semis, and then in the East. I mean, I, I struggle to think of how I'm going to end up with anything other than uh, Milwaukee versus Boston, particularly because Boston's group is terrible. Boston's group is not exactly the most inspiring. It's Boston, Brooklyn, Toronto, Chicago, Orlando. Yeah, be- because remember the way the seating works is you get one team out of one through three, one team out of four through three six, through six. Uh, uh, four through six. Yeah. And so that's the Nets last year were six. So, yeah, but Boston is going to destroy that group, you would think. And then Bucks. Oh, we got Bucks and Heater in the same group. That's interesting. Um, but then they also got the Wiz and Hornets in that group, too. So, but yeah, Bucks are looking pretty good to roll. Maybe we'll see the wild card come out of that group. And then this is a pretty nasty group. Sixers, Cavs, Hawks, Pacers, and uh, and. and I, I'm excited. So I'm, I'm excited for a Hawks for a Hawks Sixers game that matters again. We get to see Trey Young against the drop <laughs> coverage, but with a different head coach. I, I, there, it's going to be so much fun. I mean, we're going to get a lot of these. I'm yeah. I'm going to go Sixers win the group. Bucks Celtics win their groups. Wild card comes from Group B, and it's the Heat, who I remember I didn't predict to do super well in the in the regular season. And then probably you get Celtics Celtics Heat as the as the First East semifinal matchup, and then Bucks Sixers or Cavs for the other one. Ooh, baby! Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Cavs winning Group A over the Sixers. I think the Sixers are gonna. I I don't know. Like, 
I'm just not a believer in what the Sixers are going to be right at the start of the season the way I think Cleveland again there. I expect them to hit the ground running. And I think the Knicks actually I've got uh, as the wild card team. So yeah, so that would be probably and Bucks Knicks. I don't think maybe they'll play. They can play each other. It doesn't have to be because the Bucks might be. It, it it's I, I think it, it's just be best record seed. versus yeah. it's best like you know best total versus wild card. So it could very well be that. But the Celtics, I think the Celtics yeah. are going to win all four games. So yeah, so I, yeah, so it's Celtics Knicks, and then you got uh, then you got Bucks Cavs. So yeah, I think I think I'll go Boston and Milwaukee. And yeah, I mean, is it is it too boring to pick? your finals matchup in the finals of the in-season tournament. I think the way the group the groups shake out that way though. So yeah, that's what I'm going to go for. I'm going to go uh I'm going to go Denver beating Boston though rather than the other way around. Okay. And I'll go I'll go same I'm going to go hmm I'm going to go Celtics beating the Bucks in the in-season tournament and but Nuggets beating the Celtics in the final. Okay, so we both have Denver winning it. Yep. Yes. All right, this was fun. Let's. Uh, I, I can't wait for the in-season tournament to start. I can't wait for Tuesday. Uh, John and I will we'll do a little more of our season outlook stuff as well. I, I'm really interested to get some of his thoughts. Uh, that'll probably be on Tuesday. And Danielle will, will catch up on the news and everything else we need to hit. We got these rookie extensions. Uh, some more of them will probably happen tomorrow as well. We'll talk about those. So got a lot of great content here. And uh, we'll be back soon. Till then. If you want to find out whether Nate and Danny were right, and of course follow along with all the biggest NBA news this season, subscribe to Dunked On Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. That's dunkedon.supportingcast.fm. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.